anything, right? That's how they make their money We're off going. the characters. Just keep going. Oh, hello. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, with Warner Brothers, they own the rights to Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, all that stuff. I don't know if the studio knows how to develop that into something like what Marvel's done with the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Because Marvel, the big difference with theirs is that they've infused it with this sense of fun where I can feel safe taking a kid to see Spider-Man Far From Home and I know that I'm not going to have to worry about covering up their eyes because of you know, nudity or extreme violence or um, there won't be uh, you know a bunch of crazy swearing going on like there's a little bit but there's there's so little of it that like my daughter didn't catch any of that and she was just excited to see the film and she loved Mary Jane and she just oh I'm sorry they changed her name now because MJ Mary Jane uh, uh, MJ um, and it's it's interesting to for me because my, my, I've taken my daughter to see well I took her to see Wonder Woman and she loved it. She loves the character of Wonder Woman. Uh, but it, it seems like the DC movies are a little more serious, a little more almost grim. You know, they, they don't have that that sense of play to them. Whereas Marvel doesn't seem to really take itself super seriously. I mean, some of the earlier films, like the first Hulk movie was very, you know, mental and dark. And, you know, we were talking about mental health and stress. And the Hulk is a big, scary creature. And then you get Iron Man, who, I mean, Robert Downey Jr. could, you know, he's just basically playing himself in a suit of armor. And, you know. And he's still my example of the perfect the perfect yeah. casting. Yeah. And it sure. was the first movie. Yeah. Very first movie. They hit it right out of the park. First, first guy in. Um, but they had that little sense of, like, play. And, and I think that's, that's, it's the same with the DC comics and the Marvel comics when I was a kid. I liked Batman. I liked Superman. I had a really hard time getting into Superman because when I grew up, I mean, I was I was just getting the comic books in like 82, 83. And so that was just before the John Byrne era. And so Superman was like this completely infallible, untouchable, invincible dude. And it was like his stories were boring because it was like, what do you do with this character that can't be hurt? Like there's no sense of, oh, oh, he can be hurt or killed or, or what have you. And when John Byrne came along and was like, oh, but the magic does him in. And you're like, oh, suddenly there's this thing that can, you know, it makes the character more human. And and uh, whereas Spider-Man, I can relate to him. Peter Parker had, he was a geek. He didn't, you know, get along with the in crowd. He had trouble with girls. He had trouble with money. He was stressed. His work wasn't great. His, he had a sickly aunt. Yeah, he was like, trying to help because there was always the bills. There's always problems. Right. There's always something going on. And I grew up in a single parent household where, there was always the bills. Right. You know, so I'm like, relatable. <laughs> Whereas uh, I couldn't get into the Fantastic Four because it was like this billionaire family of scientists going about space. But I loved the thing. I loved the Human Torch. Um, I loved the the crossovers where the Hulk and the, the thing got went at it or Spider-Man would show up in the Fantastic Four. But I couldn't read the Fantastic Four on its own. It just wasn't my thing. But you, if you gave me an X-Men book or Thor or the Hulk or... Like with Thor, for example, I loved... Simonson's run on that book because he took it and he made, he did something more with it. He wasn't just showing Thor, the Norse god of thunder, kicking the crap out of bad guys. He was telling you this Norse mythology and he was building this rich interwoven world inside the Marvel universe, which they've been using throughout, you know, with with Ragnarok and all that stuff. Whereas 
with DC, like Batman is a really cool character. He's a great concept. But they're but turning everybody into him. They're turning everybody into him. Everybody's so dark. Like with Bruce Wayne, you understand why he's dark. He's dark because something absolutely you know horrible happened to him as a kid, and he's never gotten over it. And he's he's in Gotham, which is a dark, scary, dreary place, and he's dealing with you know homicidal maniac villains. He doesn't have you know uh, a really goofy villain aside from the Riddler, right? Like most of his villains, if you don't take them down quick enough, will probably kill you. So I he, do like that know. he deals with crime families, though, too. Like he yeah. does street level stuff. Yeah. That's like, above all these super powered people. Yeah. And Batman was always my favorite, but he also has like a phone book of good villains. Right. So does Spider-Man. Yeah. Spider-Man has a great, a great book of villains. I mean, what a great cast of villains, right? Like I, I, I can't wait to see them do Craven the Hunter. Like, I don't know why. I, I do love you think that they'll character. go there? I hope so. I hope they cast somebody like really good. It would be awesome if they like cast Henry Cavill as <laughs> Craven would be just, it would be perfect because he's got the look, right? Like, he's got that... Isn't he all in on Witcher for the next while, though? I think so. Yeah, I think he's locked into that deal with uh, with Netflix for the Witcher A game thing, series so. I've never tried, either. You know, that's actually a really good game, um, surprisingly enough. I uh, When I have time to play some games, um, I do play a lot of different... Um, I find myself drawn to more into the open world games where you can kind of just pick them up and go, and then drop it and leave it for a while and come back to it and... and uh, uh, often I find I have to spend about an hour trying to relearn the controls again, but once I get going, I'm, I'm good to go. Yeah, I've noticed your absence on WoW. <laughs> I, re- I retired actually. I, I I just got tired of the the. I just I felt like we're we're, we're just moving in in one spot, like we're not doing anything, right? Like the last two expansions haven't been really amazing. They're making a bunch of changes to the game. I don't really like. And so I thought, you know, if I'm not enjoying it, why am I putting money in? So no, that's I fair. don't really have a ton of time right now. Like I'm uh, Carson and I picked up another magazine gig. So like my my time outside of my regular day job is getting more and more limited. So I, I need to kind of go more. I'm going more PC, like away from PC gaming and more into just the the consoles because I can just pick it up and go and then drop it and come back to it whenever I got time to do was it. Was he used? Yeah, you were doing Red Dead. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I played it. Um, I started trying to do the, you know, the I wanted to get the 100% accomplishments thing. And then I just got to a point where I just, it got so tedious. I was like, I just want to finish the game. I enjoyed the cinematic feel to the game. Like, the music is amazing. The um, art directing of the game is just fantastic. Like, there are scenes... There are scenes in the game where you feel like you're part of like an interactive movie. Like there's stuff going on and it's just like they're almost crossing that fourth wall, you know, where you're watching this thing happen, but you're actually, you have to still interact. You still have to do things. Um, so I really enjoyed that. Um, but I think right now all I'm really playing is just the Lego games with my daughter because we can pop in and do something for, you know, an hour and then, then we're done. And I've never heard a bad thing about those Lego superhero games. You know, they're honestly surprisingly hard. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's a sign of our reflexes because didn't a 13 or 16 year old just win the Fortnite World Cup? Yeah, 16 year old just win one. Three million dollars. Three million dollars. He never has to work a day in his life. And we all have jobs. I mean, we we clearly went wrong. I think that's a statement of the decline of our reflexes, though, and just how games have changed, right? Like, Well, you age out, I think, as a gamer, unless you're playing um, strategy games like uh, StarCraft or something like that. I mean, you couldn't really. I mean, I don't have the twitch motion that I would have had as a six-year-old oh, no. to 
um, I'm embarrassing on Call of Duty. I mean, my son just puts me out there as fodder so I can die and can live, right? <laughs> so that's, that's, and I'm fine with that. That's just not my thing. Um, but I mean, I still play, I play a few games here and there that I really enjoy. Like, I, I really loved um, the Spider Man game that came out for PlayStation 4. Uh, I just wish it was longer. It was a fantastic game. Oh, yeah. It's funny because in the middle of 2018, that was the most streamed game. Yeah. And then when Red Dead came out, yeah, it became the most streamed on. game. But I like the notion that they went back to, like you said, it's such a rich story and yeah. it's like it brings you into the world. And yeah, I think they went away from that for a while. Well, the Spider-Man game was really well written and you really, I mean, if you had any knowledge of any of the comic books and the characters, it was really easy for you to kind of get drawn in and then collecting the different um, big moment costumes for Spidey became part of the fun. Like when you unlocked Spider-Man 2099, it was like, oh yeah, I'm wearing that suit. Or you black know? suit. <laughs> the black suit. As soon as I got the black suit. I Everything like, but the Ben Riley suit. Yeah. No, actually I didn't <laughs> mind the Ben Riley suit. I, I like the animation for when you're swinging around, the way that the hood kind of follows you. I thought that was kind of neat. Yeah. Because what was it? Scarlet Spider? Yeah. Yeah. The Scarlet In the 90s. Spider. Yeah. That was leading up to them going bankrupt, though, too. Well, yeah, they almost disappeared. For, you know, uh, what was it, 92 or 93? It was pretty touch and go. I thought, it, when did they get bailed out, 99? Um, you're right. Yeah, I think it was 99. Yeah. But that was during, but they ran out of ideas and there was a Spider-Man title every week. There was yeah. an X-Men title every week. There was even a Wolverine title twice a month. Yeah. They, they watered themselves down. Right? Well, that was it's, in part to compete with what DC was doing because DC ran all of their titles monthly. And, and then they ran. Um, there was I mean, a weekly Batman like, title. What, five Batman books. There was uh, Shadow of the Bat. Um, Batman, Batman, Detective, Shadow, Detective, Chronicles, Chronicles, and, and then one there other. was something else. And, and I bought them, but they were all good writers. And then they had Robin, and they had Nightwing. Catwoman. They had Catwoman, Huntress. Azrael. Azrael had his own book. But they were all good. Yeah. In my opinion. But it was... Well, they had they had those good, the good artist-writer teams, right? Right. Like, and I'm so happy to see they brought Kelly Jones back to draw some Batman, because, my God, Kelly Jones' Batman is the best. I know. <laughs> I got to get more, because so far I'm just sitting on that. Oh, it's, it's so good. I guess I have... The cartoon one too, but yeah. Well, Bruce Timms is good too. And then McDaniel, I have in the kitchen. Oh yeah. Never mind, I have lots. Yeah, <laughs> but it good. was like Chuck Dixon, Denny O'Neill. Um, yeah. But they had four good writers four on good writers, four titles, four and they each had their vision of Batman. Like one did him more as a detective, mm-hmm. one had more action, and one was kind of the driving plot of the Batman yeah. universe, right? And then they fell into that that. And, and Marvel did the same thing, the the giant crossover event series annually. thing annually, and, it, and that just got old quick because, I mean, how many titles can you buy? I just started waiting for the trades to come out because I was just like, oh, enough already. Like, yeah, and had, Superman's to blame. Yeah. Like when people saw Death of Superman, Death of Superman yeah. and then Nightfall. Yeah. Then it was like, oh, cha-ching, and then they yeah, had then they have, killed Green Arrow, then they killed the Flash, and then they did this, and then they did, yeah. They killed off yeah. Hal and then made yeah. him the spec. Like they had some, there was that yeah. e- event every year, right? Yeah. But they kept doing it and they kept saying, this crisis is that crisis. Like it drove me nuts and I quit yeah. for a while, like quite a while. Yeah. And then they did the 52 reboot and uh, it got so confusing. 
It really did. It almost honestly, it was like they didn't learn anything from doing the Crisis on Infinite Earths stories, or they were trying to simplify everything that well, yeah. to a core universe. Yeah, um, but uh, yeah, I think that's that, I mean, after that long tangent of of things. I think that's the same. I think that the comics and the movies are very similar, and I think that um, the thing I'm enjoying the most about the whole Marvel Universe thing is just that that's you go in there and you laugh and you have fun and you get excited and then oh something happens and then you're excited to see the next one you walk out of there at the end the the end of this last movie the the infinity war movie it felt like a, a fitting ending i mean if they had just ended oh, end game yeah yeah i mean it could have been just over and that's fine it was it was a really good ending um but then as soon as I saw the trailer for Spider-Man Far From Home, I was excited again. And My dirty little secret, I finally just watched Homecoming. Oh. And it's yeah. so good. I, I love him as Spider-Man. He's so good. My one beef is Aunt May's hot. Yeah, I'm kind of I'm kind of used to it now. I'm kind of getting used and to it. And just him calling her May in a very casual way. Like, yeah. To for our generation it was he had the frail aunt that he was taking care yeah. of and uncle ben died and like yeah i'm glad they didn't retell his origin yeah. because for him a batman stopped telling the origin we we get right it. we know and i like that they yeah. dove in here's peter parker i love tom holland is it yeah he's great he's amazing he, he plays great scheme, screen chemistry and he yeah. seems to have really good chemistry with whoever he's on the scene with and even them mixing it up, like the new Flash. <coughs> Excuse me, Flash Thompson. Yeah, mm-hmm. like I like the kid they picked for that. Yeah. Um, I get them moving away from Mary Jane Watson, and they yeah. just had Gwen Stacy in the last run. Yeah. So this new MJ, fine, whatever. I, I don't tie myself to the character. Like you know what I mean? Like if they change the character around completely, I, I don't care. As long as the, the movie is good and the story is good, I mean. It's just a name, right? Like I had a lot of friends that were gonna rage if Mysterio was like mystical or like a superpowered uh-huh. guy. I was so glad to see him in the dome. I will admit that because I mean that's such that Ditko design is just so unusual and so odd with the eyes and the yeah. neck and the bowl and it's all there. And and honestly, there's there's scenes in that movie that you can you can almost hold up the issue that that scene came from like there's a, so many of the the mysterious spider-man shots where they stole like, a panel yeah yeah it's like th- this was the cover of this issue this was like the, the splash page for this issue this happened in that issue like and and i love that because it takes you back to the you know the guys my age who grew up on it are going oh yeah man this is cool and then my daughter got to watch it and she was Really into Mysterio, the character, and then when he turned in, you know, when he does the flip, and you realize he's the bad guy, she was so mad. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I think that's a wonderful reaction to get out Quentin of the kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's. I remember that, and I can't remember my yeah. social insurance number. <laughs> well, I hear you, <laughs> but um, even my wife, she was like, "Oh." Is he is he a hero? And I'm like, I'm not gonna say anything because you know, <laughs> you sure there's a yourself. big twist coming up. <laughs> so, so yeah, I need to see that yeah. one. And but I heard Holland's contracts up. I heard they have him signed to like six more movies. I read something the other day said it was for three Spider-Man movies, but six appearances. Six movies, so I don't know yeah. if they're counting all the Infinity movies, um, Civil Probably. War. So he might be done. But like 
you're dumb not to snap him up. Oh, I think they're easily going to make but, more movies of Tom Holland for sure. Yeah, but the geek yeah. I am, I would want to do a movie about each of the Sinister Six. Yeah, I think that they need to do... Um, see, that's where I go with Craven. Like, he's... Because he's such an oddball character, like Craven, yeah. and and he's like, been untouched. He's been he has nobody's done him. He's pretty simple to do, and maybe throw in like somebody else, you know, that he can team up with, like maybe the lizard, or well, they did the lizard sort of in those other the other movies. There was like a yeah, or the scorpion. They haven't done the scorpion, but they mentioned Gargan, which they I did. enjoyed. Yeah, so maybe that's gonna be the next villain. Maybe it'll be the scorpion. I and. That was my beef with the old Batman movies, like the 80s, 90s ones. It was like, this one's Joker. Nice Joker story. But then Penguin, but there's this little offshoot of this. And then it's like, well, this one has to be Bane, Poison Ivy, and Two-Face, right? Yeah, too many villains in this You need to stop. Yeah. And each villain is good enough to tell a story, right? Yeah. So, like, sign them to six movies, do the Sinister Six. See, what I think would be amazing would be if they did Craven's Last Hunt. Yeah. But Which you have to introduce perfect. him. Right? He hasn't been introduced at all. Right. So if they did a Scorpion movie and introduced him in the movie as a you know small tier character, barely barely in the movie, and then later on do a movie where it's Craven's last hunt and the last hunt is Spider-Man, yep. I think that'd be amazing. But that'd also be a lot darker movie than I think they would yeah. make. Yeah. So That's treading on DC territory. Yeah. And that's... I swear I just saw an article this week and it was like... It raved about the 1990s DC animated yeah. universe. Batman, yeah. Superman, Justice League. That Batman show and the Justice League show were both amazing. Like my I my daughter Ella and I, she's my she's a little superhero fanatic, and we she grew up watching the the Batman animated series. We watched the the Super Friends one, you know, the Batman Superman. Uh, cartoon that they did which wasn't great but it wasn't terrible and then we watched the uh, Justice League cartoons and she really loves like Hawk Girl was like her her character in that movie or in that, that franchise and um, so I think we've watched every single episode of all of those shows and then she really got into Young Justice um, and she was so upset with the end of season two <laughs> so, what happens well in the end of season two they, they kill off Kid Flash oh okay well kill him off you know yeah, kind of like the Barry Allen thing in Crisis where he sort of wanders off into the time stream and yeah. he comes back in the third season right so so she, for me the, the joy has been just watching the stuff that I thought was really cool when I was growing up affect her like seeing how she gets into it um, it's kind of neat to see her take on things like she's at an age now where she's she's 10 years old so she's able to articulate how she feels about these things and she'll tell me why she thinks something's really cool or really neat and like when I when I when I saw Captain Marvel um I enjoyed it when I saw it and then I took her to see it I saw it before I took her to see it and I was like you know I think she needs to see this movie it's just it was such a good um they had two really good messages that I thought were important you know, and as a parent, you, you're always wanting to imply advice on your kid, 
But when you do it, it's preaching. When a movie does it, yeah, you know, it's entertainment. <laughs> so I wanted her to get that message of, you know, if something knocks you down, you can pick yourself back up and keep on going. And that was like the core of that whole movie. She kept getting knocked down. She kept getting back up. And it showed her through all these different ages of her life, getting knocked down, getting beat up by life, and then getting back up and being like, too bad, I'm still here and going. And then it showed that she didn't need anybody's help. Like when she got captured by the Skrulls, and then she kicks all their asses on her own. I was like, wow. Like, there's no there's no Disney princess moment here. There's no, she needs rescuing. She's she's fine. She's on her own. Yeah. So I enjoyed that. I'm not, like, I was just chatting about it with my one friend, and, he, and his hang-up, and he's not a parent, but his hang-up was, and I don't even know it was a legit quote of hers, that one, right. like, I don't want white men watching this movie, or some, there was some horrible misquote. I don't pay attention to the internet stuff. And that kind of like... The whole don't read the comments. I don't read the comments. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sound advice. But yeah. yeah, there was like a whole... So then everyone that was like the comic people, they were like, well, if this is going to be a girl power movie, why should I bother? Yeah. And I'm like you. I went and I watched it. I super enjoyed it. Yeah. I loved it because I thought it really set up the 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 Infinity War stuff so well. Because you needed a character on the battlefield who was at that power level. And they just showed Thor and Hulk were not at that power level. So it was kind of like, oh, this is pretty dire. Yeah, if Thor's not there. <laughs> if Thor's not there and Hulk is, well, he's not, he doesn't want to show up. Well, uh, what do we do? <laughs> so um, they needed somebody on that level. And I honestly thought they were going to do Adam Warlock. So I was surprised that they didn't do him at all. Well, there was always comments that in the collector's yeah. thing that Adam Warlock was that one cocoon that was off in the right. corner. And that, but that's just everybody kind of like, I think that's what that Surmising. is. I think he maybe he is. And maybe we'll see him later on, right? Like, who knows? Um, they like to tease out stuff and drag it out for a couple movies. And then I think that's the other thing I really enjoy about them. You know, this Marvel Universe thing is because they're allowed to write longer form than just a movie, they can plan a plot line that spans several films it's been 10 10 years was iron man 2007 8 yeah 2008 or 2009 so it's been 10 years so i mean they've spanned you know all those movies and when did they start teasing thanos it was the, the first avengers movie yep so i mean they built up to the need for the avengers and then oh there's thanos so we knew he was coming, and then suddenly he's here, and we see why he's such a big threat. And then they introduce a character that can maybe hopefully handle that threat. <laughs> so, Yeah, and they took B characters, like Solid, like the Guardians. Yeah, the Guardians of the Galaxy, nobody gave a crap about them in the comic books. Right. And then they hit the movie screen, and everybody's like, God, I love Rocket and Groot. Like, and the first Guardians is probably in my top three of the Marvel yeah, movies. It's a great movie. That, that scene where he's dancing around and he's stealing the first Infinity Stone. He has no idea what he's got. And he's just such a screw up as a character. Yep. You love him. How can yep. you not love him? He, you know, Peter Quill's awesome. <laughs> yeah. And every single one of those characters you like for your reason, yeah, right? Like, like Drax. He's Dave Bautista is amazing. He's amazing in those movies. What, what great comedic timing. Who would have thought? Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I'm moving so incredibly slow that I'm invisible. <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> Yeah, and I just... He seems to embrace acting. He, he seems to enjoy it. Yeah. So, it's so, pretty cool. Yeah, I think it's pretty cool. Uh, and the same thing with Black Panther. I loved the character Black Panther when I was a kid. But I couldn't have... 
I don't think I owned a single Black Panther issue. I owned a couple of reprints of some Jack Kirby issues that only because I love Jack Kirby's art. And to see that movie, I mean, they built a culture in that film. Like, I think that's the thing that, that really took people by surprise with that movie was it felt like you were really like Wakanda was real. I still have people that I, I talk to and they're just like, they talk about that movie almost in reverence. Like it's just, it's amazing. It's like, hmm. um, the music, the, the art, the, you know, the, the feel they got of that movie. I mean, if, they, if you can go to a movie and it can move you, that's marvelous. You know, like, see, and that's one of the ones I passed on. I still haven't watched it. It's really, really good. And it's hilarious. Cause I have two friends at work and one of them, we bonded cause he's a huge WWF fan from the eighties oh, and nineties, yeah. yeah. but he's from Nigeria and he just moved over here. But his, his wrestling knowledge makes mine look horrible, which is awe-inspiring if you think about it. Yeah. But like every time he'd see me for about a month there, he's like, have you watched Black Panther yet? And I'm like, <laughs> nope. And then he's like, racist. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, just, really, you really should watch it. It is quite a good movie. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, um, that's when I hit superhero burnout, I think. Yeah, I can see that. And I can see like that's the one thing I'm kind of worried about is that people are going to burn out. Um, and, and I, I totally would get that. Um, I think what'll happen is we'll see it kind of die off a little bit. I'm hoping like between the Netflix stuff and the movies and then DC trying, I was just like, and it sucks because 12 year old me would have been like, bring it on. Right. And I want to see it all. But now as an adult, I'm like, you guys are like, well, it's like the, when the walking dead hit and there were like suddenly a dozen zombie shows, right? Like, I know. Endless is really unique. I mean, iZombie is really funny, but it's funny because it's a totally different take on it, right? Where it's, you know, you have The Walking Dead and then you've got World War Z and all these other things. And I mean, it's just milking the same cash cow until it. Which is the Drew stops. Barrymore one where she's like a zombie. That's the uh, Santa Clarita diet. I do not right. like that show. Hmm? I don't like that show. Oh, I, I don't. But um, it's part of that craze, right? Yeah. It's just a spin on it. My wife and I watched the first season together, and she kind of liked the show. She she went further into the show than I did. But I just, I don't know. It, it just got so goofy. Like, the, the writing is just, that's what it is. I think it's what bugs me as a storyteller is the story <laughs> kind of goes off the cart. And then, legit, logically, it makes zero sense that they are still running around. Yeah, like, but it's it's the phases, like the zombie yeah. phase happened, and then um, it seemed like um, serial killer things became yeah, super the cool Dexter for a while. Thing. Yeah, yeah, and stuff yeah. around that, and just like um, to catch a killer, and just stuff like that. We have a fascination with, um, like true crime stuff. Like people like the true crime stuff because we, I think, as a as a as a um, a species, we have a real. Uh, we have a real love of storytelling. I mean, you can go back as far as there are people on the planet, and you know they'll, there'll be an oral history of some kind, uh, whether it's through music or dance or you know, long form storytelling. Um, you know that's how they would pass their history along. Um, and I don't think that'll ever go away. I think it's just in our, our DNA. You know, yeah. um, but it's amazing to me. Um, I think with the true crime stuff, people are just hopeful. That when they get to that last episode, they've caught the guy, yeah, <laughs> or the gal, and and you know the mystery is solved, and then they can feel better that it's. And it's, that's what was yeah. brilliant about the original CSI. 
Yeah. Um, I didn't enjoy the spinoffs, but the original one, like, I think Keely and I owned every box set up until, right. um, what was the main guy? I can't remember the actor's name, but he played Gil Grissom. Once he left the show yeah. um, and they replaced him with Morpheus, <laughs> right? Um, yeah. then we stopped watching. But like, and how many Law and Orders were there? Like oh, people yeah. like those and they like watching the interrogation yeah. and they want to figure it out. Well, people have a fascination with court too, which is weird weird to me. Like, Because I've, I've spent a lot of time in court through my, my old day job. And I mean, if you if you have to do it every day, it's not it's not interesting, <laughs> you know. But I mean, sometimes there are some funny things that happen in court, but it's not like um, you know, there's no Matlock moment, right? Like it's, it's, Matlock, you know, that's funny. It's, it's just, uh, but my wife, she was like that. She would she gets really into um, a lot of those true crime drama shows and, and things like that, and I think she streamed like probably everything that's on Netflix for you know for that kind of stuff. And and I think it's just that that you know fascination with um, how do they get to solving this thing? Um, I know for myself, I find it interesting when they use you know a really neat technique to catch somebody. Like there there was a documentary I'd watched, I think it was about a year ago, where they had this this uh, British uh, criminologist on, and he developed a. Um, an algorithm that if you fed in the addresses of the crime into this algorithm so if you had somebody who had for example um, put bombs at like six different supermarkets uh, what he would do is he would run the algorithm based on those addresses and he would give you an approximation of where the person lived like the postal code area that he lived in that's not creepy at all well they, they did it based on on just past criminology history, um, like the basic fact is, is that people who are going to do a crime of any sort like that, they tend to not go too far from their house. Yeah. And once you start looking at the bigger picture, then you start to see the pattern, and then you can sort of focus in on the pattern and focus in on the pattern, and eventually that's how they caught the guy was um, they were down to the block that he lived on. Holy. And, I mean, that is kind of creepy and kind of, you know, Big Brother's watching kind of scary. But um, he's also living in London, which is, I think, the most surveilled big city in the Western world, you know. Well, didn't so, they wrap it up for one of the Olympics? Yeah, they did. Yeah, they I think. They built this gigantic um, surveillance system. Yeah. And, I mean... There's hundreds of cameras everywhere. So all I had to do was catch the guy driving from point A to point B and get him on security camera dropping off a package and they've got their guy. Um, but it was interesting to me to see how they, you know, you take this, there's five million people living in this area and we're looking for one. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you know what you're looking to for. to do it, right? It was just, that's what I thought was really interesting. Yeah. It's just neat, though, and it's all those genres of kind of like they run their course, but it yeah. doesn't seem. But like you said, Marvel told a slow burn story. Yeah. And so it was nice to be there for the ride. And it feels like DC or oh, it's Warner, which yeah. I think that's the breaking, not breaking, but what's the word I'm looking for? It's just the disconnect is you have yeah. a movie studio that owns a comic book company. Right. And so they're throwing shit at the wall or they're yeah. like 
like you said, Batman's dark. Everybody likes him. So now let's make Grim Superman. Everybody's got to be dark. Yeah. Right. And I was yeah. like, why is Superman grumpy? He like got the most yeah. loving families in the middle of Kansas. Well, and like, I think the thing that they missed out on too is the moment you turn Superman dark, he's a villain. He's an unstoppable villain. <laughs> yeah. So he's no longer, nobody wants to watch it now. Now we're, we're going we're gonna to go try and find a place to hide. <laughs> And then the goofball they hired is Lex, like as the kid. It yeah. just they haven't done. The casting wasn't great, but when for some of it, I still think the original Christopher Reeves are the only like really good Superman castings. Those first movies were, were good because I the think first at the two. time, the, the, well, the first <laughs> yeah, the first couple uh, when they came out, um, Superman had never really been properly done like. The flying scenes and and all of that stuff yeah. was just so. Like, I remember being a kid and seeing that first movie and just being like, blown away. I mean, there's that scene where he's zipping around the earth a bunch of times. Oh, the time, time travel thing, yeah. And I was just like, well, how did they do that? You know, like how did they make this happen? And I thought that was really interesting stuff. But I mean, they don't hold up very well today. Um, but I felt like like Christopher Reeves really kind of understood the character of Superman. Like he got the, the, the moral compass of the guy right, and he he wasn't he didn't feel superior, you know. Like he wasn't walking around like I'm Superman. Who are you? You know. He like, had that humble farm yeah, boy. He had that down yeah. to earth. You know, my name is Superman. How? Who are you? And <laughs> can I help you cross the street, ma'am? You know, like he had that yeah. kind of wholesome kind of feel to him. He's supposed to be a big boy scout. Yeah. At the end of the day. Yeah. And I don't think they captured that at all. And I really like what. We just talked about him. He's going into the Witcher movies. Henry Henry Cavill, yeah, right. And yeah. he he looks like Superman. Yeah, like when he's in the costume and has his hair gelled yeah. up and everything, he looks the part, right. And it just it sucks they haven't done a good movie. I don't think with him. he's gotten a good enough script. I think if you put him in the right script, he would be that Superman, that wholesome guy. Yeah, yeah. I just don't think they're yeah like where he was like traveling the land yeah. and like hitchhiking i'm like what are they doing with him and um i got into it very much sense no but i got into an argument with like an artsy film student guy that he's like it's an allegory and they made him into jesus and he was this and that and i'm like i could have done without that allegory what (laughs) could have done without that allegory? i know and they're like well they're putting a new spin on him it's like he's a hundred year old character right yeah like Go fiddle with Shazam. They did a good job of fiddling with Shazam. Shazam was enjoyable because it was so fun. And they made him relevant. They made him super fun and relevant and interesting. Like, and he's a... Because in the comics, Captain Marvel, if they can call him that... Well, he's just a kid. And Billy Batson. Yeah. But they were two different people right. in the versions I read. But yeah. in the movie, he retains the kid memory, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. And I can get over that. Like, yeah. he's a B character. Let's make him relevant. Yeah, and he he was he's a guy on Superman's level. Um I mean, he was basically I mean, he and Superman are almost the same character. They were competing yeah. superhero heroes. And Warner Brothers bought the company that originally came out with them. Um <laughs> And uh uh what's funny is uh Kirby and, and Schuster were working together um at DC Comics for a while working on Superman. And they were also working for the other company who was drawing Captain Marvel. So there were there were some stories that there were times when he'd be in the DC offices drawing panels for Captain Marvel and he's supposed to be drawing Superman and 
you know, the editor would walk by. Oh, that's a, that's a, you just draw the little swish on the forehead. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, they were super you know? similar looking. Yeah. And interchangeable to a point, right? But yeah, just one wasn't mainstream. Right. But, and if, is The Rock still on board to be Black Adam? I don't know. Because he looks at. Yeah, he, he would be an excellent Black Adam. And there was, when was it? The early 2000s, they did some amazing things with Black Adam where they kind of made him yeah. the anti-hero yeah. and they added his wife, his kid. It was part of one of the crises. Yeah. But they made him this, they turned him into like this leader the of his country. of the Marvels, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. it was brilliant. And then they had Mary Marvel turn and it made me care about the Marvel family. Right. But then it just kind of fell apart with one of the reboots, right? Yeah. Well, that's the thing that's always really interesting to me. I mean, being a, a cartoonist and being somebody that would, you know, like there's characters I would, like I would love to draw Spider-Ham for, for Marvel just because I've always loved, like I'm a cartoonist, I'm a parody guy. I love that. I find that so fun to do. And with the movie that, uh, the Spider-Verse movie that came out was so good. And they brought, you know, Peter Porker into the movie. And to see kids excited about Spider-Ham, you know, I mean, I, that came out when I was a kid. <laughs> and it was a brilliantly done, like, parody. And then it just died. It went away. And yeah. I know they brought him back because they've got to retain the, the trademark on the look. Yeah. Um, but I would love to see a, a Peter Porker comic book for kids, like... It's it seems like a no brainer. It's I, screaming to be made. I'll do it <laughs> in a heartbeat. <laughs> and I love because they would bring in because I bought yeah it was some it wasn't a Spider Man comic it was some like team up book but at the back it always had Spider Ham yeah and then there was the Pun Fisher yeah and it was this giant whale with a machine gun yeah it's like just, all of the crazy parodies like Captain America and they had like the Incredible Hulk bunny and like <laughs> I so want to draw <laughs> Goose Rider was the Ghost Rider ripoff it was like was it I just remember oh, Pun Fisher I, I had them all <laughs> so you know like Doctor Octopus was uh, Platypus I think was it and see I was, didn't get enough of them because I had Doctor Doom because <laughs> I had to get whatever the Belleville Confectionery store had so like you're you're a limited selection yeah. right so like for three months straight they had these Spider-Man comics that had Spider-Ham I took, I took advantage of being a, a kid in a single parent household and, and I had access to comic re- uh, well the Regina book exchange before before there was even a comic readers in town and then we had tramps on on broad um Right across the street from the Regina Inn, there was uh, the old tramps that before it burnt down. So I had oh, I, that's before me. I had two two comic book shops within biking range of my house, so I was always down at uh, the book exchange, uh, and and I loved that place because he didn't care about keeping anything super pristine, so he wasn't gouging you on prices. So like I'd walk in there, and if it said thirty five cents on the cover, that's what he would charge you for the comic. Book. So, <laughs> so that was before the last owners. <laughs> yeah, oh well, yeah. Um, and I remember being a kid, just you know, you, you would go and mow a lawn and get ten bucks in your hand, and off you'd go, and you come back with an armload of like books, and and I would just read everything I could get my hands on. So, yeah. and to no surprise to my parents, sadly, the first thing I did when I moved here for university was sought out a comic store. Oh yeah, and it was. The book exchange with and yeah. Dana was just running at the time. He wasn't even the owner yeah, yet. Yeah, because this would have been ninety three. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The old store over by Tumblers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Tumblers. <laughs> hey man, I've been I've been going to that store since it opened. 
<laughs> yeah, and I just and I brought so my kids 93, there. Oh yeah. my god! So I've known Dana twenty six years. We were, I was talking to him the other day, and we we're talking about our kids. And I'm like, God damn it, time just flies. Like you just blink, and like a half a decade goes by. It's just I know. Stupid. And I don't even buy comics anymore. I just oh. I realized one day I just I don't know if I just don't read anymore. Right? I still buy a few. Um, I still I still read here and there. Um, I find I'm, I'm buying more for my kid than I am for myself. Like, um, I want her to read. Yeah. And it, they're small bite-sized things, right? So she can... And she's really into certain things. Like, she likes adventure stories, and she likes, like, different different genres of things. Is so. she 10, you said? Yeah. Because there's... Doug Tenapel does an amazing job, but it's for maybe, like, well, around now. Because he's the Earthworm Jim guy. Yeah. You'll know better than I do. Yeah. But he, he has a whole bunch of different books. He's got a books. new graphic novel out. Hmm? He's got a new book out. Oh, which because he did like cardboard. Um, he has a whole bunch of just like one shot graphic novels that are yeah. for that tween age, yeah. and they're brilliant, right? Yeah, and um, it's hard to find stuff like that. And Xander tears through them, and they're good, like yeah, decent sized stories. Um, another one is called Amulet. It's up to like the seventh yeah, or eighth. Yeah, she episode. likes that that series. That's a good series, and yeah. it's just. I probably fed it to Xander a little too early because the first book, the dad dies in a car accident. Oh, yeah. And it was right after our divorce. So he was super yeah. emotional about, like, dad's not home right now and stuff like yeah. that. But once he got past that, yeah, he, I think he might still pick them up and read them every once in a while. So between Amulet and the Doug Tenapel stuff, that seems to be the only kind of, like, yeah. 10 to 13 niche. I've been getting, I've been trying to get her to read Yosaki Yojimbo. But I love. I tried Bone. And his school, his yeah. French school had Bone in French. Yeah. But Bone? he didn't seem to gravitate to Bone. Yeah, Vin- Ella hasn't really gotten into Bone. Um, my son really liked it. I loved it. But, I mean, I'm looking at it with adult eyes, and I'm just loving, like, because he's an animator first, he has an understanding of storytelling and depth and a pacing. That Doesn't Dana have a Bone tattoo? I think so. Yeah. Like he was big. Yeah. Yeah. He's a big Jeff Smith guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I am too. It's uh it's one of those things where I, I wish he would do more. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the thing. Like when a new amulet came out, yeah. I buy it, he reads it in in a day. Yeah. And then it's like, and now we wait for and eight now months. We wait for the next one. <laughs> yeah. I, I've been buying the big uh the big telephone book editions of the the Yusaki Ujimbo stuff, but now I've got I haven't them tried all. that with him yet. I wonder. Um, well, they're like 500 pages. I mean, there, there's some there's some heft to those guys. And, and that's why I was hoping yeah. he would dive in on Bone, because Bone, yeah. there's a solid volume of it, right? Yeah. But he likes what he likes, and he's he's of this generation, right? Yeah, I think Bone, for the honestly, for the kids, it's it's tough. It's tough because I think the story is so broad. Like, it's such a great graphic novel, and the kids that get into it really get into it. Um but I think getting past the first 12 issues, because the first 12 issues, it's just kind of fun and goofy and light. And you're not really sure what's going on. They introduce the rat creatures and there's all this stuff happening. And then you get into the actual meat of the story. He starts telling you the story about how, you know, the old lady, the old cow lady is actually the old queen. And Rose is the, the princess. And you start getting into all that whole storyline. And then it just takes off. And before you know it, you're at the end. Maybe I'll have to get him a few more then. 
because he used to take it out because he just looked for anything that was a graphic novel when we had him yeah. in French school. But now he's been in English school, so he's oh kinda, yeah, and he's just it's like every kid. It's like I need to pull back the YouTube time because yeah. he's just on there too much, yeah. right? Every kid's like that right now. I think it's. I mean, this this age, um, they're growing up in in such a different world than we did. I mean. Everything's at their fingertips. If they need to know anything, if they want to look up anything, it's right there. If they want to yeah. watch something, it's there. Um, they're, I mean, it's always on 24-7, right? And I know my daughter gets up super early, even though it's the summertime, because she likes to sneak in a little bit of YouTube watching no, fair enough. before everybody else gets up, right? And, and she's watching um, mostly Taylor Swift and Katy Perry videos these days. But um, she's also watching lots of these, like, um, kids doing, like, crafting and stuff. And hmm. it's neat for me because she's an art, artistic kid. So watching her, she'll watch a video about something, and then she will go and draw flowers for, like, you know, an hour and a half. And she's doing great. But she's just watched some kid drawing flowers on, on YouTube, and they showed her how. And, um, I mean, it's... Uh, it's kind of neat to see. Yeah, see, and Xander found a really cool one. It's called Oversimplified. Oh, okay. And they use kind of like very bland, cartoony stuff, but it tells the history of the world. Right. So now, like, I'm, I actually just talked with Keely about this. I'm contemplating talking to the U of R, like, history department. Yeah. Because he's, he's only 11, but he's all in on world history. Yeah. And so he's knows all these things but then he goes and plays like civilization or hearts of iron and i appreciate it because he's throwing terms out there he's like oh they did this and then they annexed this country and then these guys did this these guys are socialists and i'm like okay so like (laughs) i don't know how to few he seems to have a passion for history and i need to know how to further it there there are some really good i'm also a history geek um, when he's coming to your house. And, and my son <laughs> loves history. So he and I watch a ton of documentaries together, the two of us. And we'll watch, like there's a brilliant one on right now on Netflix that's all about um, the history of Russia. And the like basically the, the the Romanov dynasty and how it came to be. And, and it's neat because like all of that stuff was so, like it wasn't taught in schools really. Like I can't, even think of a time that we studied the Romanov dynasty like I think the the tale like Anastasia well it spins goes out of that way further back right yeah like it goes to the first guy and then it oh you know, cool and, and so I mean, like there'll be characters you you've heard of like you know Ivan the Terrible and things like that but it's like their history is so interesting but I think it, the reason that we didn't hear about it a lot is because of the Cold War and yeah. communism and blah 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 and you know, growing up in the West, we just weren't, we didn't have access to that, that stuff, unless you really went and took a university level course where they dove into it. But it wasn't commonly discussed, right? It wasn't like the French revolution years or talking about, you know, um, the Spanish inquisition or or any of that stuff. Um, so I found it really interesting. So we, we like binge watched the whole thing. Right. And my wife's like, what are you guys watching? And I, Told her she's like ah oh, she's like, you know not her thing <laughs> more that's history fine. that's fine that's but cool there are though. some there are some history um, uh, podcasts I listen to and uh, um, there's one I really really like because they cover topics that 
normally don't get covered. It's called Ridiculous History. And Xander might get a kick out of that. It's something hmm. he can listen to while he's drawing or reading or whatever. And uh, they talk about the oddball stuff, like um, the, uh, the, the record company X-Ray Records gets their name from something that used to actually happen in Russia. Uh, American music was outlawed in Russia, right? So what these guys would do is they would make bootleg records using X-ray film. So they would, huh. they would take the X-ray film and they would bootleg their record and then they would pass them along to each other so they could play these. And they didn't sound great, but there were X-ray plates with records, like rock and etched roll. Etched into them. Huh. Etched into them. And hmm. uh, you can still find them on eBay. They're kind of neat. Really? And the hmm. KGB caught on to this and so they started trying to uh, uh, infiltrate this this underground record thing, and so they would make little little warning records, and they would slip them out into the black market. You know, oh, this is the KGB. You better not be listening to this American crap. You know that kind of stuff. <laughs> um, and and their podcast is about all kinds of stuff like that. And I and I think that that's really interesting. To you'll have to send you know, me. I'll have to send you some all links. the links to all the yeah. stuff. Um, and there's a five minute history one that I listen that I watch on YouTube all the time. Hmm. And it's like, you know, history of the world kind of stuff. It's kind of neat, but it's done with like little animations. And yeah. It's like little short little bites. Yeah. yeah. And that's the like, and I like that oversimplified because it makes yeah. it kind of, it's PG's it. Yeah. But, and then yeah. it's animated, but it, it still deals with like actual facts throughout history. Right. And so like as the 45 year old guy, I'm having 11 year old being like, dad, do you know this happened in this time and this time? And this is why this country's this way. And I'm like, <laughs> I have no idea what you just said. Yeah. Has he listened to the Dan Carlin's Hardcore History nope. podcast? He did like a, oh my God, that's a deep dive podcast. I love it, but it's like you got to dial in because you're in for a long set. It's, you know, an hour, two hours long. But it is some of the most well-researched, like university level stuff. He did a whole, um, I think it was six-part series on um, how World War One created the world we live in today and he discussed like all of the intricacies of like the the kaiser um how they had all the different like non-aggression packs and if this country gets invaded we we will go to their defense and this and that and how that that all set up basically what happened to to start world war one hmm. and then it restarted again for world war two um, and how it's just kind of set up the world we currently exist in. Uh, the you know the start of things like capitalism and and uh, globalization and all of that stuff all sort of stemmed out of that whole that little little bit. Nineteen nineteen was an important time. Yeah, and a hundred years ago. Yeah, like yeah, I just they. Is there anyone still alive from World War One? There's got to be. I don't think so. Because they the would last, have to be 120, I guess, I if they the fought in the war. One died a few years ago. Did they? Yeah, I think so. Because there's still World War Two people, but yeah, but they're they're dropping off too. I mean, it, how long was that? That was 70 years ago. And really, that was the last kind of great great evil, right? Like the the last time that the entire globe got together to yeah yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's been weird. It's weird times we live in. Yeah, the world. Yeah, they keep trying to build up boogeyman. Like, who's the boogeyman now? Iran. <laughs> yeah. Every president needs their boogeyman, yeah, right? The, the, yeah. 
I, I don't want to I don't want to get too into politics because I know there's people that are it's like religion they're they're staunchly on one side or the other but he makes me nervous Trump <laughs> yeah oh. just the way he like you know he doesn't have a presidential reaction to things like most of the times when somebody's on the world stage and they're dealing with things that can affect the world they have a calm cool collected approach to it and they really measure their words and they carefully curate what they're going to say he just mashes words out on twitter and throws rhetoric out there and then with zero facts what are we doing are we going what's happening right like uh when he goes on tv and he's like oh oh they're gonna get it you're like what the fuck's going on are we going to war (laughs) you know yeah and i was just listening to a thing a while ago that kind of it explained how close the Cuban Missile Crisis was. Very close, yeah. Like, to the point where some people got orders to, like, turn the keys, and yeah. they refused and kind of waited it out to cool down. But, like, there yeah. were, like, okays, I guess, given on nuking. Yeah. Or, like, firing up the silos. Yeah. We which is scary. Like, six minutes. Yeah. They were saying, like, six minutes of, of total nuke. We may not even have existed. Yeah. <laughs> And it's just, but that's probably the last time we got you like know. that close. Yeah. Because, yeah. It I, just, I can think of like four incidents in the last three years where I thought for sure we're going to war. Really? Yeah. I just think people fear the states so much now. I fear but, the instability of. Maybe with clown shoes running yeah. the country, but like. I also joke around at work. Because I kind of have been paying attention to like the whole democratic process, and I still yeah. maintain that Trump won because people feel that Bernie got fucked over to a point. There's a lot going on there, yeah. And I'm just not sure, I mean, being Canadian, I'm just yeah. We just try to stay out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and so kind of yeah. like my horrible Canadian prediction now is if they push Biden through, Trump's gonna win again. And that's that's my standing prediction. I think that the problem I'm seeing is there's a lot of infighting going on, and and they're not very united, you know. No. And we have the same thing going on in multiple countries right now, which is really kind of frightening, right? Like, what's the chaos in England right now? Yeah, I mean, England's got chaos. Uh, there's chaos in India. There's chaos, you know, Egypt. There's chaos all over the place. Um, South America. Calm down. Yes, yeah, is Venezuela sorted out yet? No, Brazil's even going through some sometimes. I mean, it's I don't know. We'll see what happens. It's, it's going to be weird. How many economies need to kind of crash? I th- I think that how long ago was yeah. Greece? Greece was bad. Was Greece that ten was years ago already? Two thousand nine. Yeah, like they completely collapsed. Yeah, and that's the problem I'm seeing with with the whole Brexit thing is destabilizing of, of economies is going to be an issue, right? Like, you just cross your fingers and hope for the best, I guess. And people are now bringing up Margaret Thatcher again because they said she was so against the euro and now... It, there's a big rise in protectionism and it, it's not good. I mean, that's the thing that people don't seem to realize when you when you go my country first and everybody does the same thing then who are you trading with? Who are we doing things with? Like, we have to start working together instead of, you know, fighting each other over stupid things. Yeah. 
Well, how fast did uh, NAFTA fall apart? Yeah, <laughs> true. Just because, like you said, one guy's like, oh, nope, that's gone. I'm doing it my way. And it's like, yeah. Yeah. How do you? Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. We ended up with a reality <laughs> show a host as a president. <laughs> a, a reality TV show personality is running the most powerful country on the planet. Yeah. This is why I draw cartoons. <laughs> but this there. is more outlandish than anything you well, can dream get up. I out somehow. I mean. Like you know. the guy who hosted WrestleMania Four is your president. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, where do you even go from that? It's pretty. I don't know. It's it's scary times. No yeah. doubt. So, did you pay attention? San Diego was last last week. Yeah, San Diego Comic Con uh, was last week. Um, I always pay attention to what's going on because, um, well, I mean, obviously, some of it affects me, some of it doesn't. Um, Lots of really cool. It seemed it was really weird. This year, the big buzz seemed to be toys. Um, people were were showing up on on the preview night, um, which is generally just a time when you go just to check out what's being set up and plan for tomorrow kind of thing. And uh, there were lots of exclusive toys. Like Mattel had a had a booth full of wrestling figs that were exclusive. Uh, I actually contacted a couple companies to do look at doing some stuff for for some of the things that I do. Because I was like, man, that's a cool product. I want to see if they'll, you know. I see a lot of talk about wrestling figures lately. Like, yeah. it's strange. Well, see, Zach, Zach, and uh, um, his buddy there do that wrestling podcast for the WWE, the the Figure It Out show, and I love that show because I think what I love is just their enthusiasm for the stuff they're into. And Zach's really into like the Ninja Turtles, and he's into wrestling figs. But he's also doing like Ghostbusters and Funko Pops, and like he's his toy room is ridiculous. Oh, Hawkins and Ryder. Yeah, Hawkins yeah. and Ryder. They and I love their show because I love their enthusiasm for what they're doing, and they seem to really just enjoy it. And they they keep going and taking tours of like Funko, and they go to Mattel, and they do all these things. And they were at San Diego Comic Con. They hosted a panel, and then they did a bunch of like. They were showing you what was coming out from like NECA, what was coming out from, you know, Mattel, what's coming out from Hot Toys, what's coming out from. Didn't McFarlane kind of put his foot down again and try to get back into the figurine market? Well, he's still in it. I think he's just, he sort of spent, I think, this year focusing on trying to get the Spawn movie going. Okay. And he's hitting issue 300 on Spawn. So I think that's his big focus right now. Because this is the first time he, I think he's done actual art in a long time on, on the book, right? So he's, I think he's just kind of focused on that right now. But I think he still has toys going. He's got lots of licenses. I mean, he, he certainly didn't lose money on the Walking Dead licenses that he, he picked up. And then he also got his hands into um, uh, sort of like a Lego sort of toy that they were doing. Hmm. I can't no, I remember just, the name of it off the top of my head. but I just, the way, and this is like part-time knowledge or whatever, but I had heard NECA was all the guys that kind of were disillusioned disillusioned with him and kind of split off and wanted to maintain that yeah. high quality product. NECA seems to be a toy company made by toy geeks, right? Like right. people that just love making interesting toys. And I like, think that's why they swept up Heroclix. Yeah, they got Heroclix and they got um, the Ninja Turtles and their Ninja Turtle line looks awesome. Like they're doing a, t- a line of Ninja Turtle characters that are based off of the movies, not the the more recent ones, but the ones from like the eighties and nineties. And so Super Shredder. 
Yeah, like they're doing like the they're modeled after the guys from those movies and they're putting super detail into them. Like there's a Raphael that they've got that they released this year that has like a cloth uh overcoat and oh, a hat. Wow. And I mean I'm sure the thing is probably eighty bucks or something like that. But oh, probably. honestly it's like a bloody statue. Yeah. <laughs> like I could see you know, if I was a, if I like and I, and I love the Ninja Turtles. If I had room on my shelves, I could see you know slinging down you know eighty bucks to grab it. But they did a bunch of movie prop replicas too. They did like Casey Jones's hockey mask. They did the uh, the ooze container. Oh really? And it glows. Oh nice. <laughs> so I mean, like they did like stuff like that, right? Like they're they're aimed very squarely at us, yeah. like at our age group, because I mean we grew up on that's the turtles that we grew up on, right? Mm-hmm. And that's how they all look. They're all they're all molded and shaped to look like the guys from those movies. Yeah. Um, I think, and they did a line of, and this is what I thought was was awesome. They did a four pack of Ninja Turtles in a pizza box. <laughs> so you open up the pizza box, and you've got four Ninja Turtles in there with all the you know the extras and add-ons and stuff. And I thought, man, that's just brilliant marketing. Like, yeah, <laughs> I mean, turtles and pizza they go hand in hand almost, right? Yeah, so, yeah. And that was a like for late eighties. That was kind of. Because I never read the comics because I didn't have access to yeah. it. And I guess they were way more violent. I watched the Netflix documentary. The comics, like the early years of the comics, were not for kids. Right. Um, and his his art style. Like, I like his style. Um, but I like it because I like how he's developed and he's he's becoming, a, you know, really... He's really good at, at doing that that texturing and that... that um, uh, using black and white... As, as black white gray like more of a color you know not mm-hmm. just like stark black and white yeah he does he does blending really well um but the early the early turtles books they've just released a couple of collections collecting those and and i've i've picked them up they're awesome but they're, they're not kids comics like i couldn't hand them to my daughter i'd be like no <laughs> and that was the thing like yeah because that was a kid's cartoon yeah. when it first came out and i remember like the giant arcade game that was like the four it was the first big like four what, player arcade game what turned game. them around is when they licensed it to do the video game and they licensed it to Archie to do the newspaper strip oh. they had to turn it into a kids product and then they went into the playmate the playmate was it playmates I think it was playmates toys and so the animation deal came it all kind of came out at the same time and that Turtles in Time video game was, was one of my favorite things in the that arcade. was it yeah because um, there was two of them there was a Turtles in Time, and there was another one. Yeah. But even, like, little Melville's Arcade yeah. got that, and it was just full. That the and always the Marvel Capcom game, ones, yeah. right? And it, well, the X-Men game and that game were two of my favorites. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Because you could play four-player on the X-Men game, and my wife loved playing as Storm, and I would play as Wolvie. So we would just rip things yep. up as a Storm and Wolvie. Um, yeah, Ninja Turtles great. Yeah, I always loved being uh, Donatello because he had the staff. Yeah, so he had the, the reach. He had the best reach. He would just like whip yeah. things around. Yeah, <laughs> everybody would be like, "Wow, I don't want to play Donatello. Give me Donnie. I'll take Donnie." <laughs> well, I guess yeah, because every spot at the console was the was color a for turtle. So yeah, it was the, yeah. It's, yeah I, I was like, "You poor sap. You got Raphael. <laughs> He's got those nobody likes the size. <laughs> he had no reach. Yeah, no reach. Couldn't he throw them? Him. I can't remember. I think he could like spin them, and I think he threw. I think he could throw them. Yeah. Yeah. Every guide is special thing. Yeah, Mikey was fun. Yeah, he would do the. But he's everybody's favorite. Yeah, yeah. it's because he was 
pretty much the stoner. <laughs> yeah, the pizza guy. I don't know if he was modeled after like Sean Penn from Fast Times. I don't or know. I don't know. It'd be interesting to see who he modeled him off of. But it was a great property, right? Like, yeah. And the documentary is super well done because it shows like how violent it was. But they were like, oh, and after episode three, we killed off Shredder. But yeah. then the TV show needed this overarching villain. So they're like, how about this how about guy? Shredder? But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, like in the comics, they killed him off. Like they were killing. Yeah. yeah. Which they don't do in the show. Well, they were ninja assassins. Yeah. Like they were trained assassins. <laughs> you know? They kind of glaze over that. Yeah. Nobody gets hurt. Nobody gets hurt. And this guy's running around with katanas, but nobody's getting cut. Didn't they just do a big crossover with them too? Uh, Batman and the Turtles. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Do you know what's funny is is my introduction to Yosaki Yojimbo, the rabbit samurai, was the Ninja Turtles. I picked up the issue where he was in it, and I was like, what a cool concept rabbit samurai and then i bought the toy because i was just i was all in man like i love japanese culture and i love their history so i was like you you got me and then i tracked down the comic books and, and i re- then i found out there was like a totally unrelated property <laughs> like yep. the ninja turtles only showed up like maybe three times and it was like these weird little crossovers and then they would go, both go back to their own universes and yep. they'd, be, they'd be on their own again uh, but i just i fell in love with that character i just i love um, Stan Saki's uh, uh, storytelling ability and the way he uh, puts together the comic. I mean, it's it's like watching a master paint. It's just amazing. Um, yeah, yeah. And those were the two big franchises when I moved here that Dana was into. Um, yeah, that and Bone. He just that was his thing, and I had never heard of them because once again, yeah. small town. Small town. I'm not going to find Bone on the local gas station. So I it's, think it was Dana that got me into a bunch of other like. Because I was like, I liked reading the black and white comics. I wasn't afraid of it because being, being an artist, I'm studying how the, how are they handling the negative space, positive space. And I mean, Frank Miller was a big part of that with the Sin City stuff. And then um, I got into Bone and then uh, Yusagi. But then I, he introduced me to Akiko and um, a bunch of like European magazine comics where they were using like Copic markers and stuff to do all these like crazy gray tones and all these washes. And I was like just eating it up because I'm just, I was just like, I need to study this. And it's funny now I'm using some of those techniques digitally in the black and white stuff that I'm doing. because I'm trying to push like as much gray as I can. I don't want to have a bunch of like blank white space in the backgrounds. So the last two um, strips that I've, that I've worked on, um, this month, I actually designed backgrounds separately from the cartoon. Oh. And then, because I, I'm finding that in the, the two I just finished, they were all taking place in the same scene. And so instead of drawing that scene in the little panel, I drew the whole scene. And then I would place the scene wherever you need I would it move over things top of around it. and, yeah, change the composition a little bit. And then, had this nice richly done scene in the background instead of just quickly redrawing it a whole bunch of times or you know, drawing a simple scene in the background. I wanted it to be really, really neat and really interesting. So, Is Walking Dead the only really big black and white title now? Uh, it was. They ended it. Oh, did they? <laughs> I'm... Spoiler alert. Yeah. <laughs> the last issue came out last month. So, Oh, did it? Okay. Um, they did it in a really surprising way. They, they put in previews six more covers 
and didn't tell anybody they were ending the series. That's brilliant, though. And so you get the last issue, and it's like, that's it? (laughs) (laughs) So, but I kind of got the sense that that he was kind of done telling the story. It's been a long time. It's been over 10 years. And, I mean, what more can you do with the characters at that point? Do you just milk it until it dies? Or do you end it at a good place and move on? But it was nice. Because, yeah, around 10 years ago, we got that kind of wave of non-superhero well-told things. There was Walking Dead. There was Why the Last Man. Why the um, Last Man's a great book. And Fables. Fables is one of my favorites. Bill Willingham, which is... Like, he's probably most known for that. But I found yeah. him through the Shadow Pack. Oh, okay. The DC story about their kind of yeah. like um, the the misfits of their kind of mystical universe, yeah. right? And that was one of their stories that kind of spun out of one of the crises. Yeah. Because they had um, Secret Six spun out of one of the... They had those four individual yeah. titles. There was the OMAC Project, the Secret Six, um, Shadow Pact, and there was one other... Le- oh, Checkmate. Oh, yeah, yeah. Checkmate. And there was those four yeah. series that spun out, and they were all so good. And they were, like, saying B-grade characters is probably a compliment. Like, Detective Chimp. I have an old Ragman comic from well, the 80s. I think that's one of the, the that's one of the things that always allows a writer to just sort of take things further is it, when you have characters that the company... It's kind of giving you free reign to do whatever you want with them. You can kind of push the envelope a little bit. You're not too worried about offending an editor or, or trying to stick to whatever they have given you as a you know he do this. Um, it was like that with with Daredevil when Miller took on Daredevil. Daredevil was like probably a couple issues away from being canceled. Um, he came on. He's like, hey, I'm going to tell the story about this uh, this Electra assassin who Daredevil, you know, she's a, from his past and introduce this character bullseye the super assassin and like all right do whatever because you know the book's on its way out just whatever try it <laughs> you know do you think then, the brian michael bendis run kind of paralleled that where daredevil was irrelevant again i think so i think is daredevil's one of aside those, from the kevin smith kind of one shot thing yeah, right he's a tough character to really get into because he he's like a super gritty dark superhero right like he lives in the darkness. So he's a blind guy. It's neat. I've always loved the character. Just the concept of him, I've always found really interesting. Um, but I find that there's been only a few writer-artist teams that have really made him interesting. Uh, Walter McDaniel was one. You know, he had a great run on Daredevil. Um, John Romita Jr. and Frank Miller, when they teamed up, I thought that was the best Daredevil I'd ever read. Um, the Frank Miller Daredevil stuff from the, the 90s was brilliant. Uh, letting letting him kill her in the Daredevil comic book was such a great move, and it was probably the first time I had seen a death in a comic book. Was that issue where Bullseye you know, kits her with her own sigh, and she dies in Matt Murdock's arms? And you're just like, oh my god, you know? <laughs> I was like, what just happened? Yeah, you know, I'm like 13. <laughs> you know, my mind was blown. Um, I guess when did he kill Karen Page? I was on. I think it was in the same storyline. Cause yeah, he's and they never touched on him. I never watched season three. Season it's, three. It's did, good. It's is it really good? Yeah. Did they touch on Bullseye? 
They do. He's actually the villain. Is he? I'll have to watch it. Because Daredevil, the season one, is still my favorite of the yeah. TV shows. I didn't finish some of them, but... Season one borrowed really heavily from the John Romita Jr. Frank Miller one. And... Even down to, like, what like he wore as his the mask. the black mask, yeah. the whole... Like, that, there was a couple shots where I'm like, that's, like, almost shot for shot right out of the comic book. Like, that was so good. Um, I loved the actor they chose and mm-hmm. I liked the writing I, th- I found I find this is what I find with the, the Netflix show is that the, the tough part is that they're trying to tell a story that they really could tell in about six episodes over 12 yeah and so they're stretching stuff out but that's because they have that formula of we have one villain we have 12 episodes let's tell the story I think what they should really be doing is put in a couple, couple of villains or maybe they're connected and he has to defeat one and then you defeat the other one you know that kind of thing like a longer story a longer narrative yeah i guess they had the owl in there but he wasn't really he, he was, was just a businessman just they a business didn't, guy yeah yeah they didn't really do him justice and i think he dies in season one or two you know and they did the whole kingpin story in season three but they that's what was enjoyable about it was they intertwined bullseye and the kingpin they did that that whole story where kingpin's in custody but he's not really in custody. He's running stuff. He's running shit. And, and Matt knows he's running shit and he's trying to stop him, but nobody's listening, obviously. (laughs) And and then there's this bullseye character, this super assassin out there running around. I'll have to watch. I I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was really good. The season two by the end was kind of meh. Season. That's what I mean. Season two kind of dragged on. It was like, and I didn't like the love interest with the night nurse. Yeah. But, that's just me. And then she ended up being the love interest with Luke Cage after. Like it seemed yeah. like it was weird. It was a weird. Yeah, yeah, I don't like how, like, I really and it just Bendis stuff, right? Like his yeah. Jessica Jones. I love the old Alias trades. Yeah, and so it's probably between Daredevil season one and Jessica Jones season one for what are my favorites. But they did the Purple Man story such justice. Well, David Tennant's brilliant too. I mean. Like those two characters together, the two actors played off each other just perfectly. Like they he had did great Insidious chemistry. so yeah. perfectly. Oh, it was great. Like, yeah. and they took away the purple, right? So that, that made that him a hundred times more brilliant. dangerous. Yeah. Now yeah. there's a guy wandering yeah. the streets, and he can mind control anyone. I mean, and it makes his name not mean anything, but the Kilgrave. Well, or Purple Man. Calling him the Purple Man. Yeah. But, he didn't need to. They just called him Kilgrave and we yeah. just moved on, right? Like, I knew who it was supposed to be because I read the old comics. I mean, I have a bunch of the old trades, you know, the Wally Wood stuff and the old, like, really old original Daredevil stuff. And I think the Purple Man was one of the goofiest characters in the comics because he well, was it's from a silly time, guy right? in a purple suit with purple skin and purple hair and he's telling people to go jump off buildings. It's like, well, who's the bad guy? Uh, that dude. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that purple dude over there who just told your secretary to go stab you. She, he's the bad guy. How do you know? He's purple. <laughs> yeah. No, and I like some of the stuff they added yeah. and what they kept because that's probably my favorite Jessica Jones story of the four yeah. that he did. Um, yeah, it just, yeah. When I heard it was the guy from Doctor Who, who I don't watch it, but Keely, she's yeah. watched all Doctor Who, so then it's like, oh, he's great right so my wife and i knew him from Broadchurch. that was a great did they was, do the second season uh well the british version of the show has three seasons oh crap um and i loved him i thought it was a great show. i've watched season one 
and it was amazing. He's yeah. just a great actor. He's, he's he's got great screen uh, screen chemistry. Like he's just really good. And yeah, just him is that weasel of a character he that played could, it perfectly. Yeah, yeah, he did. And just you hated him by the end. Oh, you hated him like two episodes in. Oh yeah, but like <laughs> as it built up and how he messed with her yeah. and how he messed with other people and just well, there was so much psychological stuff going on in that first season that you got really drawn into caring about the character, right? Like she was. She was such a screw up as a person, and then she's dealing with that on top. And you can kind of understand why she's such a screw up. But I just we finished watching season three of Jessica Jones, and I found it it was okay. But what I really found annoying was her, the the character, like not the actress, the character, the way they wrote her. Like I'm tired of her seeing her as a total fucking mess. Like see, and in together. the comic, she did turn it around. Yeah, she married Luke Cage, but they sent Luke well, Cage in another direction. Be, I don't think she's a marry anybody to turn around. No, I think just but, stop drinking every moment you're on screen and yeah. get your shit together, right? Like, I I don't know, because you've already seen two seasons of that, right? And then she got on The Defenders, and she seemed like she had her stuff together in The Defenders, and then she's on season three of her own show, and she's back to being the mess again. And it's like, uh-huh. why is she a mess again? Like... She becomes almost unlikable as a character because of the way that they were writing. They drew out how long she was a mess. Yeah. See, and... Yeah. Nobody and that, wants to watch their uncle drink themselves into a coma. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's... After a while, I mean, you're... I mean, the whole thing is you're hoping that she's learned a lesson and taken something away from it, and now she's dealt with Kilgrave. He's out of the picture. He's never coming back. And she's dealt with this, and then that's never coming back. And so you think that by now she's learned something, and she's been able to sort of turn something around. But she's still carrying around so much baggage that it's like, it's almost like, oh, please, can we get off the pot? Like, can we just... See, and in the comics, it was a nice slow build, right? Like, she met Luke. She was still that same train wreck of a character, right? And she had the psychological damage from Purple Man. But, yeah, they finally would like, she fell in love and they kind of moved into Avengers Mansion. They had a kid and it was like... I think they kept teasing that the kid was a scroll because that was during Secret Invasion. Because oh. <laughs> um, everyone was like, well, who's a scroll now? Who's a scroll now? And they kept teasing yeah. that um, the baby was going to end up being a scroll. Oh, God. But just, yeah, they kind of <laughs> cleaned her up. She never went back to being like the hero, but she was still. Right. A, she was still a good character, right? Yeah. And I appreciate Bendis for kind of. Because I. The story is when he got hired, he wanted Jessica Drew. Right. And they were like, no, you can't have her. And he's like, "Uh, okay. So he created Jessica Jones and Alias was kind of his launching point, right? And then Daredevil and his other, he ended up running, I think, all those overarching stories, right? Kitchen sort of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But even, I think he became a main part of like um, Secret Invasion, World War Hulk, like. I you know I loved World War Hulk like the comic was just I found it like the the whole thing with Planet Hulk and everything leading up to it I, I loved that they they realized Hulk was an issue and they had to deal with him and so they shot him off into space and in their arrogance they thought well we'll send him to an uninhabited planet right and then they screwed it up yeah and then he ends up you know getting married and having a kid and all this stuff and then whatever you know bad things happen and he turns around and he's like I'm going back there I'm going to kill those guys yep. and he comes back <laughs> and he's not very happy <laughs> do you feel ripped off that they skipped over that with the cinematic universe no because had they done that story in the cinematic universe 
he would have to be killed off as a character because you can never show him as a hero again. Yeah. You know? But even the story of him being like the gladiator king of that planet. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I felt like I'm not even a big Hulk guy. I, I would have loved to have seen an entire movie of that. Absolutely. Um, but I did I did love how they did it with Thor, though. I thought that was hilarious. Yeah. I know that guy. Like, <laughs> I mean, it's one of those moments where you, like, the whole audience erupted, right? Like, that movie, like, it got panned by some people. Some people hated it. But, and they, I think the thing that they really hated was all of the humor in the movie. But if they didn't have the humor, like, what a dark movie that would have been. Oh, no. And, <laughs> I mean, but, you know. I think, and I kind of bickered when I first saw it, too. But it's like, you took the two most imposing guys and yeah. made them the buddy cop movie. Yeah. Yeah. But it worked. It worked brilliantly because of the, the Ruffalo's chemistry. amazing. Well, they, they have such great chemistry. Yeah. And then when they got the Valkyrian with them, I mean, what a great group. I mean, chemistry-wise on screen, they were all fantastic. Um, there's that whole scene where she's like, I kind of I know you from somewhere. And then, you know, she's like trying to put together who Mark Ruffalo's character is. <laughs> you know, and then she realizes, "Oh, you're the Hulk." Oh, I get it now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just I found it strange that the the four the Thor franchise became like the humor, and yeah. even in up to the end of Avengers, where he became like Big Lebowski Thor. That, <laughs> yeah, Fat Thor was a little bit much, but still, I understood where they were kind of coming from. But they're keeping them that way for four, aren't they? From what I the the latest I've heard is that they're doing the Jane Foster Thor, right? So. We'll see where they go with it. Yeah, I have some long-standing Thor fan friends that they don't even look at it anymore. They're ticked because Thor's his name. It's not the person who holds the hammer, right? And that's their argument, I guess, is like you can't just change who Thor is. So it's not my guy, right? Like I don't. I never read him. He wasn't my investment, but I have two friends that are like long-term invested Thor guys and they're just disenfranchised by the entire direction of Thor lately. I've been reading Thor since 1986 and I can tell you I'm fine with it. (laughs) I'm indifferent. It's like, I remember, was it Idris Elba was in the running to be Bruce Wayne at one point. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, it's fine, right? Like I want a good story. Yeah, at the end I, of the I day, liked, I think if you don't shake things, like if you just do the same thing over and over again, then there's no, it's not interesting. If you if you go in there and you're you're willing to give it a chance, and they they take it into a new direction, and it bombs, it bombs. If it if it goes in a new direction and it's brilliant, it's brilliant. You know, like how are you going to get there if you don't let them yeah. try it? Right, like the whole idea that they were going to do a giant like the Infinity War movie is ludicrous. If you think about it on paper, right, like. How do you take all of these franchises and throw them into two movies over, what, six hours? Yeah. Give all of those characters equal screen time and not have anybody really steal a show. And tie up every loose end, And tie up all end, the loose right? ends, yeah. And they did it well. They, they did it super well. Yeah. I mean, the whole... That, that scene where Captain America gets his hands on, on Thor's hammer. Like, I've never been in a movie audience where the movie audience clapped and cheered the way that they did during the, that big giant battle scene like when when those portals started opening up and heroes started coming back people lost their shit like they were just it was 
I got goosebumps listening yep. to them. It was crazy. But they took the time to build they characters built it into the right. Know. So it's like like you gave a shit about Chris Evans. You gave a shit about the you know the Robert Downey Jr. characters. But they did three Iron Mans, three Caps, yep. three Thors, right? And so and even like two Guardians and like even Black Widow, you were invested. Like they took the time to yeah. do character development. Unlike DC, where it's like we're gonna do Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, and then we're gonna have our big Justice League movie. Yeah. Nobody, like, what casual fan aside from people yeah. who've maybe seen Teen Titans know who Cyborg is? Well, Cyborg was such a weird choice to me. I was like, "Where's Green Lantern? Where's Green Arrow? Where?" Well, Where's Martian Manhunter? That's the thing that has never made sense to me. Like with Warner Brothers and their properties, like the way that they've done. I don't know if it's a licensing issue. I mean, they own the Warner Brothers television, do they not? The WB or whatever it's called. CW? I can't remember. It's all them. Right. So why can't they have a scene where they take the guys from the TV show? Like, why couldn't they have rolled those guys into the Justice League movie? And Stephen Amell's Arrow, I thoroughly enjoyed up to a point. You could have Stephen Amell show up and you could have the Supergirl actress show up. You could have had like the... It was a different Flash, flash right? Television should have been the Flash in the movie. Like, yeah. no, no, you know, disrespect to the guy who played him in the movie. I thought he did a great job. But if you've already had established that these characters are these these actors, right? Like, why didn't you leverage that? Because you have an audience for each of and these And take shows. their fans and bring them in, yeah. Bring them into your movie. No, they... You know? That's Warner. I think it's either... Because they have a Martian Manhunter. They've had a few, right? There was, yeah. well, I guess Smallville's a decade ago, if not more. But like, but in the Supergirl, oh, there show, is, there is a Martian Man. Oh, there's a character. John Jones. Yeah, I just I can't watch it. I don't know why. Like the Heroes of Tomorrow, I couldn't watch. It's um, just too soap opery for me. Um, My Arrow wife really enjoys it, but I'm Arrow turned into a big Dawson's Creek drama. Who's his yeah. love interest thing? Season one when he's on the island, amazing, and it's very comic accurate. Yeah, with the opiate addiction and all that stuff, and the training, uh, I like that they use Deathstroke. I don't think he gets enough attention as a big villain. Yeah, I really wish that they'd use him in a Batman movie. I mean, for crying out loud, <laughs> he's kind of out of Batman's power scale, though. Which, but that would make him interesting as a villain, right? Like knowing, I mean, like for example, Bane. Like nobody's ever, they've never done Bane right. Like to know no. that that you've got a guy that literally has broken Batman down. There's your villain for the movie, right? Like, I don't did you know. see somebody tweeted at Batista and they're like, "This would be a great role for you." And he's like, "Yeah, let's do it." Oh, for sure. <laughs> but he's he'd about be, any. He would be an amazing. Band, but he I gets think. nerd culture, doesn't he? Have a yeah. Gears of War movie coming or something now? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, like he but gets. Like, I mean, they had Bane in in you know they had Tom Hardy do Bane in the movie, and the thing that wrecked it was the way that they did his character you know he had that mask you couldn't understand the thing he was saying yeah. and then that became a joke like he's supposed to be this big scary dude right and then they turned it into a, a walking meme I mean really yeah the original version of him was amazing um, I can't remember who was it Dixon it was a pro wrestler that, that passed away they had in that movie oh, oh god that was terrible I just mean like the original comic book version they took to time Graham Nolan hmm Graham Nolan and Chuck Dixon. What, Dixon, yeah. like, yeah. And I love Dixon. He's still my favorite. Um, but they took the time. They did this miniseries about Venom. Yeah. And then they did... And it sat. And, or no, they did a story about Bane. 
and then they did yeah, another and then story they where the venom stuff, and then they did another story where Batman, a little girl died because he couldn't lift this rock. Yeah. So then this guy approached him. He's like, hey, "This is a pill called venom. It wasn't even the chemical, yeah, full form, right?" And it was this whole story of addiction, which was probably fitting in the early '90s, right? Yeah. And so they went this whole like. Batman locked himself in the cave until he had gone through withdrawal from this stuff because it was affecting his mind. But it was this whole steroid. It was probably a steroid like story. A super steroid kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. But then they cooled their jets. They did Death Superman. And then they brought back this Venom story they told like a year and a half earlier. Yeah. And here's Bane. And the sheer brilliance of he breaks everybody of Arkham, watches yeah. Batman... Burn the candle at both ends. For like an entire 48-hour period. Oh, yeah. but it was six months to something where he just let him burn himself out, like issue yeah. after issue. It's like, I got to go get Mad Hatter. I got to go get Mr. Zaz. And they were well done individual stories were, of him yeah. rounding everybody up. Yeah. And at the end of every episode, you see kind of Bane in the background. He's like... Or nope. one of his cronies. And, yeah, yeah, with Falcon and I can't remember the other guys. The little troll guy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And but just him sitting there like no not yet. I think he was Trogdelay, I think that's who he was. Yeah. yeah. But he's no not yet. Yeah. No not yet. And then finally he's like he's burned out. Go. Yeah. It's brilliant. And I like long drawn out if it leads to a good conclusion, right? Right. right. It's the classic hero tale, right? You gotta see the hero suffer and then he gets broken and then he's gotta redeem himself and come back. And yeah, yeah just as a Batman guy, I prefer Nightfall. To Death of Superman? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I thought... Like, Death of Superman, I liked... When it when it came out... I think I, I caught on really early um, that they were doing something big. Because I, I bought the Justice League International issue with... Um, Where Doomsday messes them all up? Yeah. Who and does he I, kill? I wasn't reading that book at the time. Nobody was. But I picked it up because I had a feeling... I heard they were doing something big in Superman. And I had a feeling that it was going to cross over a bunch of books. So I bought like a whole bunch of books that I normally didn't buy. It. And and he mowed through the Justice League. But like that would have been nothing. what? Ted Kord, Guy Gardner, Booster Gold, Booster Guy Gold, Gardner. Blue Beetle. Yeah. Uh, Martian Manhunter was in it. And uh, Fire and Ice. Oh. And he, he walked through them like they were nothing. And and I think was I that remember, still when he had one arm behind his back, one arm tied behind his back, and he when he fucked up Guy Gardner, I was like, oh, was that who he messed up? Okay, yeah, Guy could even see, yeah, yeah, like he 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 was he was done. I thought he killed someone, but it's been so long since I read it. He didn't kill the character. He he knocked him out of his. Uh, for some reason, they had the Martian Manhunter pretending to be some other superhero guy. Oh, okay, and he killed that character. And you discovered it was really just John. Oh, okay. It, Maybe it, I didn't realize that. It didn't make that. any sense. Because I probably read it when it happened. I hadn't read any of the preceding issues. Yeah. So I just had that one. I just read the trade, so. Yeah. And, and then I think I ran out and grabbed the next Superman issue right away. Because I think the very next issue, they showed him with both arms free. And I was like, oh, jeez. You know. <laughs> but how brilliant is that? Yeah. That, like, he's pretty much almost killing people. That are super powered with one arm tied behind his back. He just disabled a Green Lantern. Yeah. You know, with the most powerful weapon in the universe. Knocked him. Was he Green Lantern at the time or was he Guy Gardner Warrior? He was still Green Lantern. Was he? Okay. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't remember if he was Warrior yet. No, Warrior came 
after all of that stuff. Did it get? Yeah, because they did the parallax thing yeah. where he destroyed all of the other Green Lantern's rings and Gardner ah, became right, right, right. The, the, the warrior guy. I never liked the warrior character. I always thought that was so no, weird. No, but they had to do something with Guy. Yeah. I remember when Guy was introduced in Crisis on Infinite Earths and I remember thinking like, He's supposed to be such a badass, like rebel without a cause kind of character, but I just thought he's just such an idiot. <laughs> like I didn't like him from the get go. He was just their grumpy ginger. <laughs> right. Like, like you had, you know, you had two other Green Lanterns already in in the universe, and John Stewart was cool. John as Stewart, a backup. I really liked because he was, was the engineer. Yeah. yeah, and I was hoping that he would take over when Hal he should retired, right? Because. He had a different way of approaching things. He was more thoughtful. He thought things out. He didn't bumble through. He, you know, and he didn't wear the mask, which I thought was really cool. And 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 so I I really dug him as a character. And he'd also they used him as a vehicle to talk about like apartheid and like lots of culturally sensitive topics that they wouldn't even touch with Hal Jordan because what would he know? He's a he's a test pilot from California. Army brat. He would yeah. Know fucking nothing. So. I thought that I always thought he was a much better character. Like he was, he was more human. Yeah, you could get into him. More. I liked him because he was an engineer. So he, yeah, and he they could, could draw cool, cool stuff, stuff yeah. like with the working parts because yeah. he would understand it. And that's what I liked about Kyle Rayner too. Was that he was an Who's artist, the artist and he right? Could put things together that were more interesting. Kyle is probably my favorite. Yeah, but I liked that second wave of heroes. Like I liked Wally. Yeah, I liked Kyle. I like Dick Grayson. I like Diana Troy. Well, you were reading the comics at that time when they were right. coming out, so they were interesting. But I had I had completely accepted them as the full adult yeah. versions of those heroes, yeah. even when they finally did give Dick a little stint as Batman. Um, yeah, you know what was funny is I always I always disliked Dick Grayson as Batman because. Like I, I followed him as a character, like through like obviously Batman and Robin, and then he went Teen to Titans. Teen Titans, right? And he had become his own guy, and so to see him kind of re- putting the the cowl on, it was like I kind of felt like, oh, but that's not you, you know? And it's not. It's, it's not. too dark. It's it's not. Yeah, he's he's too dark. Whereas whereas Nightwing, he's very optimistic as a as a person. Like like he's always hopeful that he can, you know, fix. And that's why and, I can't watch Titans. On yeah. Netflix, it's just in the first episode he's like maiming people, and he's like "fuck Batman." I'm like, yeah, they went for the shock value. On I watched the whole first. I season. couldn't. Um, the Starfire bugged me, and the Dick Grayson bugged me. the The thing that bugs me is is they don't seem to know what to do with some of the characters, like Hawk and Dover in the in the book, and I mean they're basically normal people, right? Like they don't have any superpowers. And then they they team them up with um, Robin. Um, I don't like that they have him as as Robin. Like if he's going to be a full adult, he should be, you know, Nightwing. I mean, yeah. But that's what at I least mean. give him the disco suit. Yeah, give him something. <laughs> you know, he should be different from Robin. Like Robin's uh, supposed to be the kid. When did they? It was the early nineties where they he threw out the disco suit, and then we came yeah. back. He had the black with that the little black with blue that blue. Yeah, and. To me, that's Nightwing. Yeah, that was when uh, McDaniel got yeah. on the on the on right after Daredevil. He went. To they did Nightwing. a mini series, and then they didn't. I have Nightwing one through. Who yeah, knows, I right? really dug his and it was his brilliant. Style. Yeah, they moved him to Bloodhaven. He got his own kind of rogues gallery. He of set Bat- up his own his own thing. Right. Yeah. What was he a cop? Yeah, he was a cop. Yeah, he was a rookie cop. I, I always liked that angle. Yeah, it I was thought great. it was. 
different, you know, like he was trying to be the the like you could tell he was trying to take out of trying to transition from being a vigilante into being a proper police detective. Yeah. He had all the skills, he knew how to do the hand-to-hand fighting. And I could I could have seen them if they had let the series continue eventually hanging up the Nightwing costume altogether and just being a you know, the best detective or maybe even a police commissioner at some point, you know. I just feel they had such a even though it was there was probably eight Batman titles in a month between all yeah. of his working parts. But I feel like they had a grasp of who was doing what, where, and they communicated between writers. Well, they and, had like creative um, get togethers where yeah. they would sit down and, you know, and they would plan out six months or a year of plot lines. And right. Because it would, it would be yeah. like, okay, we're going to lend Tim over here for a while or spoiler is going to come over here. And even yeah. like, even for a little character like spoiler, I really enjoyed her. Yeah. Or, and it's just, it felt like such a great time for the writing and they seemed to be on point. It was a different company though. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like and up it, until like, like the 2001 two crisis yeah. area, then just the wheels fell off the bus with 52. Yeah. Once you get a, a company, like once you get a company that's so big that all they're really concentrating on is, is moving a, a stock from point one to point two. Um, like the comic books haven't made them money probably in a decade, right? Like they they probably lose money on printing the DC comic books to the point where I'm I'm surprised we still have comic books from Marvel and DC because when Marvel got bought by Disney, um, I thought they might start closing up the the print world. It might go all digital at some point. Um. Not to be a pessimist, but I just it didn't make sense to me as a business model why you would continue dumping money into this thing. But then I realized that what Disney is doing is they're using the comic books as a way to develop properties that they'll spin into other things. So they don't give a crap if Captain America loses money every month as long as it keeps renewing their hold on the Captain America license and they can get things out of those comic books that they can then spin into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Maybe there's a new villain that gets created and people seem to dig it or or a storyline that comes up that they really like. Or um, who knows? Maybe they redesign the Captain America costume and they they like that redesign overall. Or, you know, they're not using it. I think that they would print, they'll print Marvel comics until it gets to a point that they're just losing too much money. Yeah, that it becomes not profitable to even print the comics at all. Yeah, I assume it's a break-even thing. If your best case scenario, I don't think they make. I don't think they make very much on them at all. Hmm. If if anything, I think for the most part, they they break even. Like a title, I I remember back in the eighties, eighty you know eighty six and that that you had comic books that were selling you know, hundreds of thousands of copies a, a month. And I think now the top ones are selling maybe 30,000 at most. Hmm. Most of them are probably around the 10,000 range. I was going to guess around 12 for like a success. I think 10 is, is where they start talking cancellation. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. I guess that's... I always thought they would streamline it down to like just the big characters and get rid of kind of those in-between titles but it's like you said I guess yeah. I never think that you have to keep using certain things to maintain yeah. the property. Well that's why we had like the new Flintstones comic book and the new Scooby-Doo and, and they were introducing like the Johnny Quest stuff because they 
it, it, the way public domain works is if you can't produce a new work with that character, eventually that character goes public domain and you lose the rights to it in the States. So they have to produce something new on their properties every so often. <laughs> so all the Looney Tunes characters that were crossing over with all of the superheroes and stuff, right? It was like, why are we doing this? Because they want to renew the licenses. They don't have a Looney Tunes cartoon out, right? Like when was the last Looney Tunes cartoon? Maybe 10 years ago? Yeah. I was going to guess Space Jam. <laughs> I think they've had like a couple of like straight to video sort of things come out, but nothing, oh, maybe. Yeah. nothing major that I can think no. of. But that would explain maybe like, well, I guess Archie still exists. Well, Archie's been in print since like the 1940s, right? But with, I still see it in supermarkets. That's just a brilliant thing. You know, they never got off of the direct market because the little digests can sit on that shelf for forever. And eventually they'll sell, right? And they're not at a terrible price point. Like I buy them all the time for my daughter because they're like maybe five bucks to eight bucks yeah. for a hundred. They even had a thousand page ones out last year that were like 15 or $20. Hmm. I mean, for a thousand pages of cartoons. Yeah. Sold, you know, it went in the motor home and we took it camping and she, she loved them because it still had all of like the word searches and the crosswords. Yep. And, it's the same cartoons they've been recycling for probably 60 years, but they're still there, you know. And they do do new cartoons every year or every month. They still put out new books, new... Oh, good Lord. You know. <laughs> but it's like a lot of that stuff has been spun off into Riverdale. Um, they have a whole horror line of comics now where they they have like a Jughead who's like a werewolf and things like oh, that. Oh, good Lord. Um, but they're doing that to try and generate new interest, right? Yeah, which is which is not, which is neat. I mean, they did the Sabrina the Teenage Witch uh, thing on Netflix, and it went. It's not for kids; it's super adult. Um, but I mean, they're doing that to hold on to the license, right? Like they need yeah. to keep producing stuff. See, I didn't even bother with Riverdale because it just—I don't know. I have my childhood impersonation. I'm not interested in it. It's too. It's like nine hundred two one zero, you know. That feels like the model for so many things. Like you said, how kind of Arrow and yeah. um, the Heroes of Tomorrow, it all ends up going that drama route. And it just. The, yeah, the first season of Heroes of Tomorrow, I really enjoyed. You know, and then they had their cliffhanger ending. And then season two, I just. They just lost me. And I love Rip Hunter. I, I do too. Good characters, really interesting concept, but they just lost me along the like way. Like if they would have went with a story that was him, Booster, and Ted Cord traveling through time and yeah. whatever, that was a brilliant story yeah. arc and yeah. it was characters you would never use otherwise and you could pop characters in and out yeah. and it didn't matter as much right like yeah it's it's so warner like wonder woman was okay but i don't have a vested interest in her she she is what she is they've yeah. cranked her from like a five power level to a 10 um but that's been a slow ride since maybe the 80s where yeah. they brought her up to Superman level almost. Oh yeah. Like yeah. the when's the last time you saw the invisible jet? Well, I think that was Bruce Timm's doing almost. I think when they did Justice League, he really power leveled her up. Cuz they had a they had that that um what was it? They had that episode where they sort of gave you her origin and when she goes back to fight Hades or I can't remember the Ares or someone. Ares. Yeah. And then I think the next episode, um, they show her 
um, going toe-to-toe with a Superman villain. And it's it like, shouldn't be feasible. Right. According to her, like, 70s. According to the 70s. If you use, like, yeah. Linda Carter or Wonder Woman. Yeah. <laughs> but I kind of like the idea of her being, like, his level. Oh, I have no qualms with it. Um, yeah. I just... I also like that she had to kind of... Well, maybe it was Alex Ross's doing, not Bruce Timm's. Oh, Kingdom think, Come? Yeah, or? I think he power leveled her up. But maybe they came out around the same time. Like they were yeah. Not too far off. And I have no problems. Like, I like DC's big three. Yeah. They're completely different in their own unique ways. You yeah. have the dark brooding guy, you have the boy scout, and then you have, like, the princess. Like, I think that's what I loved about Alex Ross's version vision of like the DC heroes was he applied um, like for example for Batman he applied the pulp hero um, mannerisms and style to Batman and then you had Superman as the big boy you know the big savior of all um, the super good guy um, unfailable you know hero and then he turned Diana into uh, a Greek demigod Right, I think that's when he power leveled her up. When we saw her as an actual warrior princess, yeah, not as a princess, but like a warrior. Like that scene where she's got the wings on, and then she's hacking. I can't remember what character has been a million years since I've read the book. I'm like, wow, she's got a sword, you know, <laughs> which makes perfect sense it, when it she's makes absolute sense because she's know? from she's that from mythology. A, she's from Sparta, but, you know, the, yeah. the Greek Isles, right? Like, so I think. But that makes that adds a dimension to that character. Whereas before, I mean, you had um, the Wonder Woman television show where she he had Linda Carter spinning in a circle and transforming. <laughs> into, you know what I mean? Like it was kind of catchy, kind of you know, sixties kitsch, kind of poppy stuff. And there's some weird underlying stuff that people bring up, like the lasso of truth and like well, that's the domination thing. The and creator like, of Wonder Woman was into yeah bondage, and he lived with two women until he died. And he had a <laughs> wife, and he had a a live-in lover who, and and his wife and his live-in lover ended up living together until they died <laughs> at the end. And he was into like bondage and spanking, and he also invented the lie detector. So <laughs> he was an interesting character. What? Yeah, yeah. Well, I learned something today. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he's a, he was a very interesting guy. Huh. Um, I remember hearing all... Because, yeah, like with the Lasso of Truth, and there's so many, like, old covers and just scenarios yeah. that are well, like... There's, mm. there's some pretty funny ones Carson and I were looking at when we did the Oh My God, They Published That book. Uh, Wonder Woman comes up, because obviously she's got a bit of a troubling history. <laughs> yeah. There's one where she's, like, tied to a bed frame. And oh, she's God. being electrocuted, like electric shock to, to <laughs> her body. And I was looking at it thinking, like... I mean, this was pre-Kong's Code, this cover. But, I mean, it's so obvious what's going yeah. on on the cover. <laughs> and that's what I mean, right? Like, it's, if you go back yeah. and look now, you're like, that's totally yeah, what's on his mind. Troubling. But it's like, <laughs> oh, no, the criminals tied her up. Yeah. She's in great peril. It's She's like, in uh. super peril. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, yeah, it is very overt what's going on in those, those books. Um, so she's come a long way. Yeah, she's gone. I think she's come a really long way. I I, I like her as a character now. I think she's she's interesting. She has an interesting history. Um, And Gal Gadot does a great job, I think, portraying her on scene. But isn't she a former soldier? Yeah. 
Yeah. And you get that sense from her though. Like when she when she, she stands, has stature. She doesn't right. have to do anything. She just stands there and she looks at the bad guy and you're like, ooh. She's beautiful. She's real. But she can be imposing. Yeah, like, I find she has that chemistry too. Yeah. She yeah. has what Wonder Woman could be. Yeah. And my only qualm was just the Ares fight at the end. Yeah. Like, it got a little weird. He should have came out of the old man look and yeah. turned into Yeah, into the Ares. The Ares, yeah. Um Although the, when when they fought Doomsday in the, the Superman Batman movie, she stole the whole bloody scene. Like when Doomsday knocks her back and she rolls and she sits up and smiles, I was like, "Wow!" Yeah. Oh boy. And I don't know if that was by design or not. Like, because yeah, she steals she steals the show at the she end. She totally steals the show at like, the end. Like Superman's getting his ass handed to him, and she's just up there just beating the hell out of that thing. Right, and it's <laughs> and that's. The only part of that movie that I probably like super liked, yeah, was finally when the three of them got rolling and fighting there. Yeah, um, but the telling of Doomsday coming from Zod, like, yeah, I mean, there, the movie had tons of problems. They mishmash. There was like ten minutes of brilliance in there. <laughs> yeah, and it was the Wonder Woman scene. Yeah, and her movie's probably the only modern DC movie that I can like rewatch. Yeah. Like I see it's on Netflix. I'm probably going to watch it again. Yeah, I've watched it with my daughter a bunch of times. She really yeah. enjoys it. I've also met Chief, and I thought he, he was just a, such an awesome person. Like, he's wonderful. Eugene Brave Rock is fantastic. So, oh, really? Cool. Yeah. yeah so, I, uh, so, and I'm looking forward because the next Wonder Woman movie set in the 80s. Yeah. I saw the poster at the movie theater, and I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> so it's going to, I don't know if they decided that after Stranger Things kind of got popular. Because sure. Because the 80s got popular again. They did. And I think it may be a combination of the two things. I think also, like, with her character, she's been around. So they've established since World War One. So I almost yep. feel like they're telling bits of her life story up to the modern day. So they can pick whatever era they want mm-hmm. and have plop her, her in there. Plop her in there and, and go from there. I mean, she could be in World War Two. She could be, you know, the 1960s, 70s, whatever. Like... Maybe she was around for the dirty thirties. I mean, you can throw her in anywhere. Didn't they do that with the X Men movie at one point? They tried to make I can't remember what war Days was. Days of Futures Past. Right. Yeah. They yeah. wrap Magneto and stuff into like the well, telling he, of history. Yeah, into World War Two. Yeah. Uh, and and that was actually really I thought that was really good. Um, the whole thing where I liked how the X Men they explained how their powers kind of just manifested themselves during a, a, you know, they're metabolically changing into an adult and they have a huge stress. Yeah. And then that brings their power to some the kind of crisis. Yeah. And, and all, that scene was really moving though, too. I mean, he's, you know, he's going into a death camp and then to see his power manifesting itself and it's like ripping the fence down. You're just like, wow. Like that was like, yeah, I thought that was super well done. Um, yeah. I like, because they folded reality into the story of it, and yeah. then it makes it feel more genuine, right? Yeah, and but, that gives you a bit of an understanding of why he hates humans, right? Oh, yeah. I think if I had gone through a, a Nazi death camp, I wouldn't feel, and I had powers like Magneto, I probably wouldn't look too too evenly at humans either. I mean, I wouldn't trust them either. But, yeah, and it gives you almost a sense of, because he's the villain. Yeah. But is he really? Because... Is he yeah. still on the X Men now? Oh no, he's the new Brotherhood. I haven't yeah, read X Men. I, I haven't. Re- I don't follow a lot of the new like. I quit after Avengers versus X Men, uh, where him and Scott yeah. and Emma split, split off. 
I I had I used to read a lot of a lot more monthly comics than I do now. Now I I basically pick up what if it looks neat, looks interesting to me, I'll, I'll grab it off the shelf. I, well, they went haywire, and all the X titles are back at number one again because Hickman's taking over. Yeah, and it's I'm tired of reboots. I'm tired of. Because I get it. I think number, everybody's tired of reboots. Number, number one, one sells. sells I get it. Yeah. Like every time, oh, look, it's Superman number one. And number one with 12 covers. and uh, yeah. 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 Well, you can blame X-Men for that? Was it? The 90s. You can blame yeah. the 90s for that. Because <laughs> they had like a Jim Lee X-Men and then the alternate Jim Lee X-Men. Yeah. Gold and silver. Editions. Right. Yeah. And that kind is where they... The late 80s, early 90s. Yeah. It was like, this cover, this cover, this cover. Well, that's when Marvel was nearly bankrupt and they were trying to really okay. pile out as much money as possible. Also, I think that was around the time that... That was probably about a year before all of those guys left Marvel. So they For were, Image? Yeah. 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 Because I know X-Men had launched with... Because Lee was the artist, right? I'm trying to think... Yeah, because Eric Larson did twelve issues of the Spider-Man book that he got. He got his own Spider-Man title, and then issue thirteen, Eric Larson did. Um, and it was always funny because it seemed to be like Eric was always the guy that they would put on right after McFarlane left, because he they had McFarlane doing the Hulk, and then when he left to do Spidey, they put Eric Larson on the Hulk, <laughs> and then. It's no slight to Eric, to Eric or, or to Todd. They, I love both of their their work. It just seemed funny to me that, that that's what they were they would keep doing that because they hmm. when, when when Todd left Amazing Spider Man, Eric Larson went on to Amazing Spider Man, and then uh, as soon as he got that his own Spider Man book, when he left to start Spawn, uh, I think Eric did issue thirteen, and then he left to do the Savage Dragon. <laughs> so they all think- kind of peeled off at about the same time. Yeah, it's crazy when you think about the talent that was sitting around at that time. They were able to just all kind of be like, uh, we don't want to work under yeah. your rules. We're going to. Well, and these guys were they they were smart and they were smart in that they knew their value and they knew they had they ran into that thing that is still going on today where creators don't have benefits. You don't have a salary. You don't have any kind of You don't of have coverage. a pension plan. You have nothing. You have no pension. Yeah. You're only as valuable as your last issue sold. You're freelance. You're not even really an employee of the company. You own nothing. You're getting paid to produce work, and that's it. And I think it was Frank Miller and a couple of other artists, I think Walter Simonson and I can't remember who else, they tried to organize in the mid 80s they tried to start up a union like an artist union an artist union Hmm. i think the labs was in on it too and obviously that didn't go because people were afraid to rock the boat and companies will do whatever they can to keep a union from starting and so these guys were at a point where they were at their hottest and they knew that people were paying to see their work and if marvel wouldn't give them any ownership in what they were creating and they couldn't get any protection to you know protect their investment in this this work that they could just go and they didn't have to 
you know, hold Marvel's hand anymore. Yeah. And I mean, the first move was to Mirage Publishing, who were going to help them publish Image. And then instead, they just went on their own. Yeah. And think of the titles that spun out of that, right? Like, there's still some stuff to this day. That's... Well, the first ones that came out were Spawn, Youngblood, Wildcats, Savage Dragon. Gen 13? Gen 13. Yeah. Uh, J. Scott Campbell was Gen 13. Um, Freak Force was Mark Silvestri. And... I can't remember the name of Willis Protasio's book now. And Sam Keith did the Max. He had Dale Keown doing Pit. Like, when was Hellboy? Or was he already gone? Hellboy was... Um, McNola started that at Dark Horse prior, I think, to the image okay. stuff. Because he wasn't really happy. He was. He wanted to do horror comics. They kept throwing him on, on superhero shit. Yeah. And... When he had John Byrne help him write that first Hellboy story, I think he realized that that's what he wanted to do. So he went he went on his own to, to Dark Horse. What year was Dark Horse established then? 30th? Is it already? 89 then? Uh, yeah, I think so. Hmm. When I moved here, yeah, Dark Horse was established. Image was becoming a thing. Um, and it was just a great time, right? Like yeah. death of Superman happened. Like the early, late 80s, early 90s was... Really the, a golden age. Right. And yeah. it's just because those established guys went away and then some really good people bubbled up. Yeah. Like um, would we have seen Kelly Jones as soon as we would have in Batman if there was other... I guess there weren't as many... No one in DC really bailed though, right? Uh, I'm trying to think. Um I don't think so. I think it was pretty much just that group from... Because you had Valentin, you had um, Jim Lee, Wells Potasio, Silvestri, Leefield, McFarlane, Larson, uh, Jim Valentino. Uh, yeah, Jim Valentino. Um, you had the guy that did Bean World. I can't remember his name off the top of my head. Um, Sam Keith, Dale Keown. And then they brought up a whole batch of new artists with them. Like they established their own studios and started hiring people like uh, guys that are still around now. Morat Michaels, uh, Joe Madera came out of. Yeah. The competition's uh, good though, right? Yeah. Like, Well, I always think, you know, they introduced new voices, right? Like Savage Dragon, when I first, the first time I looked at that first issue, um, I was hooked because. I loved the kinetic energy that Larson gets out of every panel. <laughs> like, as an artist, I'm looking at it going, man, he just makes stuff look like it's leaping off that page. I want to do that. That's that's cool. Um, and I love the same thing with Mark Silvestri. He's such an intricate and interesting art style. Like, that, he drew me into the X-Men. Because he was drawing um, X-Men. Um, it was that whole mutant massacre thing. And then... Uh, they had the whole uh, Fall of the Mutants storyline. He drew all that stuff. And I remember the first the first X-Men book I grabbed was the cover had Wolverine and Sabretooth fighting each other on the cover. Like right up tight, close shot of the two of them just about to go at it. And I was like, I was hooked from there. I was just in. Uh, Jim Lee drew me in on his X-Men title. But it's one of those things where you just, you really like a certain artist's style and you just sort of follow them. 
Um, Jim Lee's is so like intricate and like you can see every like working part and really thinks about his compositions. Like you can tell he really plans out his drawing. Like I mean, everybody plans their drawing. But yeah, he plans it out to a level that the, the details. The Batmobile insane. could probably drive off that page. You know what yeah. I mean? Like it looks like it functions. His Batman black yeah. and white cover is still one of my favorites. Yeah, I love his his black and white cover. It's fantastic, and his uh, the well that that whole black and white comic was brilliant. I, I still have it. <laughs> oh, I still yeah, I have all mine. Yeah, I I'll probably never part with it. But when you think then. the black and white was pretty much a who's who. Yeah. Of they brought everybody well, you in. Had Frank Miller, you had John Walt Simonson, you had you know Jim Lee, you had and Jim Lee um, still to me stood out. Yeah. And yeah. Kelly Jones at the time because oh, I love Kelly's work but so much. I yeah. Yeah, I just have a personal liking for him because his yeah. Batman stuff was so amazing. I, I love that he is so experimental on the design. Like his stuff looks like um it looks like it's abstracted to a point that you're almost like you're you've gone through the looking glass. You're looking at, you know, Alice in Wonderland almost. But it's still realistic enough that you're like this is cool. Like his Dark Rain Batman book was just amazing. Yeah. And then his his whole run on on Batman. It's like yep. my Who's the writer I mean, for him? Uh he had I think Chuck Dixon as well. Cuz um, it was Batman, it wasn't Detective. No, he was Batman. Yeah. Yeah. But there were some great covers. The like they did a crossover with Swamp Thing. Yeah. His and, Swamp Thing is awesome. I love his yeah. Swamp Thing. And yeah. that's probably there was a Swamp Thing and it was Killer Croc was in there. Yeah. And him drawing both of those imposing big guys and he has a he has enough of that horror element that it just it's his placing of shadow is just is yeah. brilliant. Yeah. And the flowing cape. Yeah. And the ears, I always, I love how he always does like the super long ears. Yeah. I just, I thought that was just, just great. His man bat drawings, are just, yeah. Oh, his lines, just even yeah. his jokers too. His scarecrow, like, I love his scarecrow. There's one cover, it's scarecrow in front of a bunch of TVs. Yeah, it's just amazing. That's a great one. Yeah, I mean, when I was reading Batman, I mean, we had, um, we had Kelly Jones, we had Norman Bray Fogel, who who's recently passed. Oh, we did had, he? Uh, yeah. A couple years ago now. I had a Norm Brayfogel Batman poster in my college room. It was him standing in front of a lamppost, and so it was yeah. his shadow casting down. I always loved his stuff. Yeah. yeah. He was... Uh, he was, he nice was one of the main cogs of Nightfall. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you had Kelly Jones, you had, you had Brayfogel, and you had Graham Nolan. Yeah. And, uh, um, oh, man, Jim Apparel. Right, apparel. Who's also recently passed? Oh man! Was th- those are those are the, the the big four for me. Those are my yeah. And then Neil Adams, of course. But he was a, a few years before me. I was a, a little young to to really get Neil Adams and stuff. So I picked up all his stuff in trades and you know back issues and stuff like that. But um, yeah, Jim Apparel. I always loved his style because it, apparel reminded me of an artist from like the '60s. You know. That kind of a little cartoony, but still, you know, very serviceable. You know, like, yeah, like he wasn't super crosshatchy guy, but I loved it. I loved what yeah. he did. Like he had a sense of pacing. It's like Alex Saviak for Spider Man. I always loved Alex's work because it, it it wasn't super like he wasn't Todd McFarlane, but he would draw like a scene, and I would look at it and just be like, man, it's just brilliant. You know, like. You'd have Tombstone in the back alley with you know fighting Spider-Man, and it would just be like, "Wow, like this is a crazy scene! Like what a great setup!" 
uh, he like guys that just had that real like classical training of figure drawing and perspective and you know all that yeah. stuff. I think and I just a lot of that. I liked because there was six bat titles in a month, yeah. but everyone had its own flavor. Right? Yeah, like Shadow of the Bat was different. You had the Brian Steel Freeze covers. I love Brian's paintings. He's so he's so good. And then uh, I think they had Mike Zeck working on uh, Adventures of Batman for a while. Yeah, and there was a Chronicles. There was a yeah, a minimum six that yeah. were like Batman. I remember at the time I was I was not yet married and I was living in an apartment with uh, a buddy, and he was buying all of the Superman titles and I was buying all of the Batman titles between the two of us, and you know I would read his stuff and he would read the stuff I bought and 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 uh, I remember our file at Tramps was just stupid like. We would go in there to clean it out every couple of weeks, and there would be like a stack of books, like you know, six inches tall, like just ridiculous. It was just un- untenable. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Superman, I would get on and off, but I think I stopped when they did Superman Blue, yeah. Superman Red. I liked certain artists. I mean, I was I'm always attracted. Well, obviously, you know, as a cartoonist, I'm always looking at the artists on the books. Like I liked um, John Bogdanov. When he did Steel, he did he did uh, Adventures of Superman for a long time, and of course Tom Grummet, I love yeah. his stuff. And then there were guys like Ordway, Jerry Ordway was awesome. Um, so I was looking at it from more of an artist perspective. I liked how they because they all had their same sort of thing, different feel for the character. Right, Bogdanov was more more nineties ish. Yeah, Grummet was very classical Superman, which I I love. And then uh, um, I think Ordway was the same, very similar, very classical kind of DC house style sort of Superman. Do either of them still have the uh, underwear on the outside look? Yeah. I thought they got rid of that. I think that went away about the time of Death of Superman. Because it had that distinct, like, yeah, almost big diaper-ish. Yeah. The yellow belt, the red shorts, yeah. Yeah, I think that that went away. I think about the time they did the Death of Superman stuff. Okay. Yeah. Because then they did the Men of Steel, the whole thing where they had like Superboy, Cyborg, yeah, Steel, Eradicator. Yeah, Yeah. they had a whole bunch. There was four of them. Yeah. Yeah, four different titles, four different different guys. I didn't mind Superboy with that whole tactile. I liked Superboy, but I mean, I'm a I'm a Grummet fan. Yeah. And just but that look, right? Like the, the round sunglasses, great. the leather jacket. Yeah. He had a cool, like a fresh take, right? I, and I like that he wasn't just a copy of Superman. Yeah. He had different, you know, the tactile uh, ability. Telekinesis cool. or whatever, yeah. Yeah. So I, I liked that. He was a different, he was his own character. He wasn't just a, a facsimile. Yeah. You know? They did some really good um, World's Finest where it yeah. was him and Tim Drake. Yeah. And yeah, like they made him his own character. He wasn't a clone, but realistically i enjoy three of those four but like eradicator was whatever well you weren't really supposed to get into that guy right he turns out to be the villain right was eradicator the villain or was cyborg oh cyborg you're right yeah hank hank henshaw hank henshaw yeah fuck why do i remember these things and nothing else (laughs) but yeah like i think he killed eradicator eradicator seemed like um kind of like a 60s because he had the glasses, of, right? Yeah, the yeah. visor. Yeah, he wasn't as interesting. I guess you always need that one to die first, so yeah. it's like we'll put 
no set the set the uh, the fear factor up. Um, yeah, I don't know. They, they were good times. But they evolved some like Henshaw moving into the Yellow Lantern Corps, like they keep using him in a good functional way. Steel, yeah. I. I don't mind him at all. Like I think his daughter's a main character too. Well, I liked I liked him as a character in, um, well, even in the Justice League Unlimited comic books, I thought he was really good in those. Yeah, they and, made yeah, him his, his own thing in there. Yeah, yeah, but just Steel became his own guy. Um, I have yet to watch the movie. <laughs> um, I don't know if I've ever seen it. To be honest, Jack. Yeah. I don't I honestly don't I don't recall it. I don't think I've seen it. While we've been talking about movies, it completely dawned on me that I never watched Jonah Hex either. You know, I had to because my son's a mega Jonah Hex fan. I've all, you know I forgot you said that. It's yeah. funny that like you look at the rash of characters out there, right? And it's it's always interesting to me to see what character really twigs with people. Like I don't know why my son loves Jonah Hex, but He's a pretty neat character, so yeah, you know that, that's cool. But he also really got into um, Most Guard hmm. when he was a kid. He really loved the the Dave Peterson books, and uh, and I, um, and I'm glad because they're they're so beautifully done and they're well written. The and, art's super nice, yeah. Oh yeah, I, I really enjoy them. So uh, I'm glad to see that. And then with my daughter, it's funny to see. Um, like she likes some of the obvious female characters, but she absolutely loves the Miles Morales Spider Man. Like that's her Spider Man. Really? You know? Yeah. Hmm. I think that's because of the movie, right? Like the And he's Ultimates, right? Yeah, he yeah. would be the ultimate the ultimate Spidey. Is but that it, universe completely gone? I don't think so, because they kinda they kinda used it um to uh to do the Into the Spider-Verse thing. So okay. it's almost like they introduced the whole idea of like multi-dimensions, right? And I think that they're treating the Miles Morales Spider-Man as the ultimate universe Spider-Man. Okay. Because they did the Green Goblin up in that same style. Like he's the big dragon-y kind of character and that's what he was in the Ultimates. Um, so I think, I think they're just kind of just going with it. I mean... Was Miller the first two Ultimates? I can't remember. Mark Miller? Yeah. 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 yeah he Miller. did the first two and then by Ultimates 3, it just got weird. But like, yeah, there was this two-year window where everyone cared more, I feel, like the Ultimates universe. Well, he was doing a different take on a lot of this Well, stuff. Cap went back to being a soldier yeah. and willing to kill. Yeah. Um, the hippie Thor was weird. Um, yeah. Spider-Man that, was really enjoyable. Yeah, I yeah. never read any of that. Um, the Nick Fury is what they took to the big screen. And honestly, I, I enjoyed that. I, I I thought he was pretty good in the comics. And then they they did um, his uh, his Hulk was different too. I can't remember. I didn't like Ultimate X Men. I didn't follow it. I tried. Yeah, I tried, but just the series called The Ultimates was the best yeah. one and then ultimate spider-man took off but well i followed ultimate spider-man because they put mark bagley on on there and i love his stuff like he bagley came out of the same like bagley followed eric larson onto spider-man and he came out of the Kubert school he won in a contest to <laughs> nice to get to draw spidey right and so i mean hockey and not 
cure for the guy, right? And then he came out and he had this nice, really cool kinetic kind of style, and he you could see him grow and develop as an artist. Uh, on his like he he did a run on Spider Man. I think he he lasted maybe ten years. Holy! Like he had a really good solid run. Um, not just on the main title. I think he drew a lot of different things, but um. And so seeing him on the Ultimates, I was I was excited to see see what he was going to do. Um, and I think he was enjoying getting to redesign some of the characters. Like his Green Goblin, I thought was kind of neat. I mean, his version of the Kingpin was kind of cool. Like I just enjoyed seeing like that fresh take on all of these characters that were already. I mean, they were thirty years old or forty years old by the time you know they were coming along. Well, older than that because I think the Marvels cap is seventy or eighty, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Bugs Bunny just turned 80, so oh. Cap's probably about 70 or so. Action and Detective are both past 1,000, right? Yeah. 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 That's crazy. That is a crazy number. I can't imagine hitting 1,000 on anything. I think those are the only two series <laughs> where they'll reboot, do number one for like a 12-month yeah. run, and then they're like, oh, no, wait, we're approaching 900. Oh, we're, we're like... They just renumber the, and it just confuses the fans. That's the people that I think. And I think stuff like uh, action and detective yeah. should be untouchable in that I regard. I think they, they need to do, they need to look at, I mean, they're always talking about, you know, we're losing readership and, you know, people aren't buying. I mean, Mad Magazine is shutting down producing new issues, right? Um, because no one's buying and people aren't buying if they're, if they don't understand your product, why would they buy it? And I mean, kids today don't read like we used to. I mean, we used oh, to. No. You didn't have the internet. You didn't have YouTube, so you you would read a book. But um, there's a group of parents out there that are really looking for things to get their kids reading. Um, I know from my own personal experience, even when I you know when I brought out the caveman book, um, parents were super excited that the book was aimed at kids five and up you know like that to them was amazing and having the activities and stuff in the book they thought was it's colorable was there's activities there's so much in there i haven't seen like you said with the archie yeah. i have not seen a comic with an activity or a crossword or something yeah probably since archie yeah i had neither and i deliberately put that stuff in just yep. because i wanted something tactile for kids to do I wanted them to have something where, I mean, go ahead, draw in the book. It's not going to be worth anything, right? Yeah. Like, it's like, just go hard, man. Use markers. Like, I don't care. But it's, I wanted something because I wanted my kid to do it, right? Like, I did the Ig comic book because my daughter was getting to the age where she wanted to read stuff. And so, and she wanted to tell stories. Like, she's already at that point where she's starting to um, develop as a person and she's starting to get interested in, the cartoons and stuff yeah. and i wanted to foster that so i sat with her at campfire and we wrote up a bunch of stories and went to town nice and and i thought you know i bet you there are other kids out there that are just as into it you know you just got to find them and so i think i think marvel and dc need to lighten up a little you know you can't tell me teen titans go isn't a success teen titans go has been going on for forever like that comic book's still selling obviously because it's it's still around yep and the show that's that's one of two things xander watches on netflix is teen titans yeah my daughter loves that cartoon yeah i even like it and like 
it's so weird for how picky and a stickler I am for DC. Yeah. That shines to me because it's like it is a great introduction. And whoever they've hired, like the voice and the manners and for Beast Boys, I mean, him and Cyborg are fantastic. Them. The only thing I don't like is Xander hates Robin. And I think we're going to have a whole generation of people (laughs) that hate Robin because he's the annoying guy. Yeah, he's the bossy guy. But they captured Starfire better than the live action show because she's that naive Person. person yeah she doesn't get earth culture and they capture it and raven having the giant evil dad and it's like how come teen titans go does a better job of staying true than the live action show because they don't take themselves seriously they're just having fun they're telling fun simple little half hour stories right like and they're cute and like yeah and the villains like I don't know. It's just well, and and they don't have to be like super giant plots, right? Like I think there's a whole episode where the whole plot line is that they they want pie. Yeah. <laughs> you know, which is a great episode. Great episode. But how do you do an episode about pie? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, like, there's no there's no world ending plot there. It's just pie. <laughs> okay, so the guy was making them into pie, but you know still, the pie yeah. was the main the main thing. Um you know, and I think that we need more of that out there. We need more, more levity, more fun. More. And it's like I said, I, I'm glad that I can walk in there because Chad's kids are roughly the same age too. Yeah. And I walk into readers, and so I was like, I need something for this age. And he took me to all the Doug Tenable stuff. He took yeah. me to Amulet, and just that. But the section is so small; it's yeah. this tiny, like the eight to twelve year old range, right? Yeah, it's not yeah. very big. Nope. There's your bone. There's the ones I mentioned. Um, and then there's like some plants versus zombies, generic books. And it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's there'll stuff, be lots of that. There's stuff, stuff that people just kind of pump out for that yeah. age. Right. And so like, I like your egg. It's, it fits into like a genre that's kind of like underrepresented. Well, I wanted to do something where younger kids, kids that are just learning to read could pick it up and they could laugh. You know, they don't have to be able to read it. They can just look at the pictures and giggle. And and I'm, I've find that, like, I launched it at the Regina Expo this year, and um, it sold like crazy because there's an appetite for it. And I would just hand it to kids, and they would start laughing. And their oh, he's parents, great. <laughs> their parents were just like, "Wow, I've never seen him giggle like this." And I'm like, "I've designed it for kids." Like. I said, there's, I would tell them, you know, there, there's enough language in some of the stories where they'll have to have somebody read it to them. But for the most part, I tried to keep it as light as possible. And I think the very first story, there's no real actual words. It's all grunts and caveman stuff. And at the end, if the kid wants to, they can decipher what's being said and yeah. try to write their own story. But I wanted it to be something where, you know, two siblings could sit down together. And if one is learning to read, they can, you know, kind of cheat off their brother or sister. And and if they don't know how to read, they can just sit there and giggle and be like their big brother and sister and, and laugh at the pictures, right? Like, yep. I just wanted something simple, something that would get kids laughing and reading, you know? No, and it's great. Like, I grabbed it. Um, the only thing that I ever found that was kind of comparable before, like, reading was... Are you familiar with Owly? Yeah, yeah. That's the only other one. And... My daughter brought Allie home, um, I think in grade one. And I was like, finally. Yeah. 
But it's the know. only one. It, yeah, it, it's a very small niche, like very small. Yeah. I had some teachers grab copies from me because they want to use it in their classroom, right? Because it's a good way to teach storytelling if they have to come up with dialogue and they've got to come up with what's going on, um, which is kind of nice that, you know, they've got a tool they can use. But I also put in lots of like factual information too about the animals that he encounters throughout the the stories, which... How dare you teach people? <laughs> I, I wanted to do something where a teacher could use it you know, in a way. Uh, and I wanted to try and keep the animals correct. Like he's not going to run into dinosaurs. It's not going to be that kind of caveman thing. He's going to run into the weird crap that was around when he was actually around. So there's all kinds of, there's no end of monsters from that time period. I mean, a moose from that era is, is a gigantic, scary thing with crazy like antlers. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's interesting and I get to draw the crazy stuff. So it's kind of fun, but, um, yeah, it was a, it's a, it was a lot of fun to do. And it's, it is a distinct skill. Like I noticed that when I found Owley, um, the ability to draw because you, you're not, yeah. like you said, you're, there's like Oog and Ugg or whatever, yeah. but to convey the story and facial expressions, yeah. that's a skill. Well, I wanted what I was doing with him is, is I was drawing, I drew the whole thing in a sketchbook and, and it was literally sitting by campfire with my daughter. And so I would ask her, what should we have happen to him next? And then I would start sketching it out. And if she didn't giggle, I would erase it and I'd start again. That's some high pressure stakes. Well, kids, <laughs> kids don't have a filter. If, if it's, yep. if it's funny, they'll tell you it's funny. If it's not move on, you know? And, and my goal was to make her laugh every time we had something happen to Ig. And and I think the best reaction I got was the scene where he sneezes on the ledge of the cliff and then he falls. The the impact panel. She just about peed laughing. She was laughing nice. so hard. So you know, for me I was just proud to to make a kid giggle and chortle and you know snort and and, and that's half the battle to me. So it's a lot of fun. But um it reminded me of why I do what I do. That's for sure. That's awesome. What other projects do you have going on right now? Uh, Carson and I are working for Cartoons Magazine still. It's their 60th anniversary this year. We just did a really fun crossover with Hot Wheels in oh, the last wow. issue, which was really, really wild. Um, talk about pressure. I mean, the artwork had to be okayed before it went in. So um, I had to submit pencils, which I, ha- I don't usually pencil anymore because I, I'm digital these days so I, I I had to pencil out the strip and then send in the pencils and wait for approval and then go to ink so did was, they give you like reference models for cars for what they kind of wanted no, to use um, or? we were able to do whatever we wanted um, so I tried to stick in like I designed my own vehicles to go okay. in so I'm hopeful you know maybe someday there'll be a Hot Wheels car of something I did um, but they wanted to, I think they just wanted to make sure that we weren't doing anything that would offend anybody. You know what I mean? Like you have to, cause I mean, they're, they're putting their logo on yeah. something that's associating with you. And, and I totally get that and that that's fine. Um, so, so that was, that was interesting. Um, and we're doing a couple other things for cartoons. Um, we did a crossover with gas monkey garage, which is, um, a reality TV show. I think it's on the History Channel. I'm not sure. Um, I don't have cable, so I don't yeah. watch a lot of Who stuff. Who does? But. And uh, uh, that was kind of neat. And 
the next issue that's coming out we're doing um the strip we're working on is kind of fun it's a, a zero emissions race so i it's Carson comes up with the crazy stuff. I just, you know, I have to draw it. So, <laughs> so we need this. Yeah. And then we, we just got picked up. We're doing a, a new magazine called Scary Monster Magazine. Uh, so we'll be in issue 114. I got two cartoons in there, uh, two one-page cartoons. Uh, the first one is um, the Phantom of the Opera is the character in that one. So I had to watch, I rewatched the old film because I wanted it to be like, I wanted the character to look like the character from Mm -hmm. the film, but it's a bunch of like gags around that character. And then the second one is about, uh, Renfield, the guy from the original Dracula movie. Oh, Um, the guy that he, you know, the crazy dude in the, in the, in the, uh, insane asylum that he, Hmm. he uh, drags across uh, the States with him. So again, I watched the original Dracula because I wanted to be photo accurate with that. And, uh, we have a secret project we're working on right now that I can't talk about. And Every artist I bring on here has something secret. Yeah, <laughs> we have um, two books coming out uh, later in the year um, with two different publishers. Um, one is called "Hey Buddy, Do You Want to Buy an Eyeball?" I'm looking really forward to that because it's it's a weird. It's more of a graphic design job. Um, we're, it's. The book is about all the weird stuff you used to be able to mail order from the back of catalogs and magazines. And then we have some spoof ads in there. So there'll be like 10 made up advertisements and the gag is to go through and see if you can spot the fakes. And um, then we have another book coming out where Carson has interviewed a bunch of uh, actors and you know celebrities um, about their, their strange and funny convention stories. And so there's a a bunch of cartoons that I have to produce for that. Cool. Um, so that'll be coming up from Bearhaven. Yeah. Bearhaven. And, uh, I can't remember the name of the other publisher off the top of my head. And we're releasing a kid's book in October called Mr. Brown's bad Saskatchewan vacation. I was going to ask if there was any yeah. more, uh, Saskatchewan publications. That's the next one. And then we have a riddle book coming out sometime in between the other two books, um, later in the year. So, Nice. Got a bunch of little things going on. It's always good to see. Keeps us out of trouble. No, for sure. Yeah. Awesome. I appreciate you coming back. No worries. I, uh, Thanks for having me again. It's number 25, and it probably should be number 50. I've been very uh, <laughs> unmotivated lately. So, it's all good. Life happens. I yeah. it's. I got to stay on it. I do enjoy it, and I do like sitting and talking with people, and now that yeah. I got the this arms. This is a and good the, setup. Well, yeah. The old setup I didn't like at all. It just... I felt like, do you remember the scene in the old Batman movie where it's like she's at one end of the table yeah. and Batman's at Pass the other? The and it's like, yeah, yelling across and just it didn't feel right. So I wanted to spend a little and kind of fix it up. I like these. It allows you to because I remember I did one and my friend just like lounged straight back. And so the tripod on the table is like yeah. five feet away. So then I'm talking up close. So then my parts were like loud and then you'd right. hear this like distant answer <laughs> sound like I was interviewing someone from the other room so hello over there yeah and um the one streamer friend that I've made through Twitch that's from Regina it's funny they were like their cat chewed through their headset cord oh, and no. fried out the headset mic and they're like what are your recommendations and I had taken a picture of what I did what I have yeah. here and I was like well here's what I'm using she was like damn that's professional tuned into her stream yesterday she has this rig <laughs> so it's 
Well, it's the way to do it if you're going to do it right. You might as well do it right. So makes me feel legit. Right on. Thanks for coming out again. Well, thanks for having me. Until next time. Yeah.